This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the middle of our obliterated prediction brackets, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with the bot whisperer himself, Pete Abramson. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have four news items for you today. First up, an update to a very important story we brought you last week. The Rusty Plushie is happening. I repeat, the Rusty Plushie is happening. Rusty Captain Dave Eden is launching a Kickstarter campaign for the new plushie, which he'll produce for $50 each. If he successfully sells 3,000 Rusty plushies, he says they'll have light-up eyes, uh, which I'm very excited about. Look for the link in the coming days on the team's Facebook page. On over to Florida, where the nonprofit Robot Ruckus is organizing the ultimate watch party in Orlando, renting out a movie theater and watching the season six finale with the teams behind Witch Doctor, Sporkinock, Hypershock, Nightmare, Kraken, Gruff, and Captain Shredderator. Tickets are $10 each, and proceeds go towards supporting Robot Ruckus and its future events. On over to Southern California, where the team behind Whiplash is running a contest for a new team logo. The prize? A brand new Whiplash Sawblaze Rivals kit from Hexbug. The team is accepting logos between now and the end of the month. Check out details on the team's Facebook page. And finally, BattleBots has picked up a new celebrity superfan, reality show TV chef Duff Goldman. Last week, Duff surprised his Instagram followers by posting his picks for the BattleBots World Championship. Duff has already uh, an unusual link back to the show with hijinks Captain Jen Herkenroder, who once helped him build a gorgeous, intricate model of the city of Baltimore, completely made out of cake. Duff appeared on the long-running Food Network show Ace of Cakes. And just in case you're curious, he's got Minotaur beating Endgame in the round of 16 and the bot making its way through the bracket to face Rotator for the giant nut. And that's it for this week's news. Now, uh, before we get into our interview with Pete, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 62 people participate in Snap Decisions, one person just one person <laughs> managed to call nine out of nine championship fights correctly. That person was, once again, Jethro Ryalubin. The easiest fight to call last week was Sawblaze versus Hijinx, with 62 out of 62 people correctly predicting that Sawblaze would win. 
the biggest upset, other than Glitch, was Hypershock versus P1, with just five people correctly predicting that P1 would win. Uh, Now, before we get into this week's predictions, I'd love to get a pause here and get your thoughts on uh, the opening half of the round of 32. We saw Scorpios' best season yet got cut short by Endgame. Bloodsport get bashed and bloodied by the Brazilian bull of Minotaur. Sables methodically pick apart hijinks, the season's second simultaneous incapacitation. And uh, I think that was it. I don't think there was any other controversy at all. You know, uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, just, um, just, you know, the, the season's most destructive undefeated rookie bowing out early. You know, I, I think that that happens most years, you know, so uh, really this, this, this episode is pretty normal. Uh, I would love to get your thoughts here, Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, on the round of 32. This episode was bananas. It was such a fun championship round episode. Uh, so much happened. Um, I love that, like, okay, so we're BattleBot supporters. And the YouTube fights come out on the BattleBot supporters page before... Uh, anything else, right? So uh, when I saw both of those YouTube fights or those like fights that we were only going to see highlights of during the episode on the BattleBot supporters page, I immediately messaged the group and said, guys, if these are the fights they put on YouTube, this episode is going to be amazing. And uh, that turned out to be 1000% true because those YouTube fights were incredible. They could have been main events on any other episode. And this was a completely fire episode. So many good fights, so much good drama, like the drama of will they, won't they, will they, won't they make it to their fight? Will they, won't they make it into the tournament? So good. I loved every minute of it. Um, I cannot wait for the next episode. I cannot wait for the round of 16. This was awesome. A couple of super memorable fights for, you know, the entire season that I saw. It was uh, awesome to see kind of Minotaur, um, uh, you know, continue their uh, their charge through the uh, through the bracket. Uh, you seeing P one like just kind of come out of nowhere and hold their own against a, such a high powered vertical weapon with like another bot that is uh, also recognized as such a great driver um, and just going toe to toe, hanging in there, uh, and you know just just playing with physics. <laughs> and you got to admit. That that shot of uh, of hypershock like flying over the front of P one uh, and kind of sailing through the air was probably uh, one of the more um, incredible <laughs> feats that we had seen this entire season. Uh, great episode. Um, I'm I'm so excited to get to the other half of this bracket and see uh, how some of these fights are going to play out. I honestly couldn't believe that there was as much online, you know quote unquote, like outrage, whatever controversy about P1 winning that fight. To me, that was clearly P1. I mean, Hypershock was incapacitated for at least half the match and then their weapon died as a result, not just because it burned out or whatever may have happened, but as a result of what P1 did to them using their weapon. I mean, they drove off of their weapon and got, you know, flipped around. As a result of that, their weapon died. So, like, to me, that is damage via weapon. Um, That is what P1, you know, is designed to do. And 
that was the choice that Hypershock made, taking their self-writing mechanism away this this year. They just got a, a, a you know bad draw. He was a little aggressive there and drove right right off the plank. But like to me, that was clearly a P one win. Um, and I'm I'm honestly surprised that so many people are like giving them gruff about that. Lindsay, I was going to ask because you're one of five people in the entire fandom who <laughs> called it for P1. I sure did. What did you see that other people didn't see? You know, like, um, you know, as, as a, as a P1, as a P1 fan, you know, for, for this fight, um, you know, how, how, how are you able to call this correctly when everyone just assumed it was going to go to the spinner? Um, I think, you know, fighting P1 and not having a self-writing mechanism is going to put you at a disadvantage. Um, and Will has been very vocal about that decision. It's like not been a secret that he did that. Um, and I kind of saw as good of a driver as, you know, he is and, and that team is, I saw P1 being able to kind of outmaneuver them and it kind of went how I anticipated it to go. Um, I think a lot of the times, and I, I often do this, like I want a bot to win or, uh, you know, I want the non-spinner to win. So like I'll go with the non-spinner. But I think sometimes there is like good reason to do so. Um, and I think that, you know, P1, it, it wasn't like a fluke. I think P1 did what they were supposed to do. And that was, a, 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 I thought, a really great match. I mean, it, it was really sad. I, I you know, you, I hate the top 32 because I hate having to say goodbye to bots. And Hypershock was having a great season. And I think had it faced another bot, it probably would have made it on to the next round. But, you know, that's just how it shakes out. Um, and, man, glory to P1 because that's, like, they just showed he showed everyone how it's supposed to be done by them. So, I don't know. That's what I saw. Brandon Zelinsky had a perfect driving match. And Will Bales didn't. If Will Bales was going to have a perfect driving match, he would have, you know, inched in, hit with the weapon, backed off, not ramped himself over the top like he was going over Blood Gulch in Halo 2. Like, he would have been a little bit more judicious. He would have just been a little bit a little bit more cautious, but that's not how Will drives, right? To be fair, that's not how Brandon drives either. But Brandon did everything right, and he even used that weapon as like a don't even try it, right? Like you saw Will upside down trying to self-write, and he, you could see him like turning towards Brandon and being like, maybe I could self-write if I drive over P1 again. And Brandon lifted up that, that flipper and was like, don't, don't, just don't. This is not a ramp anymore. This isn't your house. You can't play that. <laughs> so smart. So smart. Like, I I loved it. I thought that it was really something to watch. Like, as Hypershock was on its back trying to self-write, it's not like P1 backed off. Like, P1, P1 was still right there on top of them for most of the time. And we're still, like, so methodical about it where they were very, like, deliberate and not letting them flip over, like you were saying. But like they were still engaging, and to me, like that that was the mark of incredible driving, incredible strategy. Um, and I I don't think many other any other bots or drivers could do that. And I do think that you know Brandon Zelinsky has so much 
experience under his belt competing at Norwalk, you know, every single uh, tournament, essentially. And you can't discount that. And, you know, I don't know how much Will Bales competes anymore outside of like battle bots. But when you get to fight every two months, like with multiple bots and multiple ways and multiple weight brackets, like that is so invaluable. And, and that I think might maybe was the difference in the match. Agree a thousand percent. And I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks were speculating that, that, or, you know, theorizing that um, P1 should not have won because they did not get damage points or uh, they should not have gotten the aggression points. I'm sorry, but when your bot is that kind of a flipper control bot, not allowing your opponent to self-right is being aggressive, right? That is not only controlling the fight, that is being aggressive in that fight. I am aggressively not letting you do your strategy. You're never going to be able to pull it off. That's how I'm going to box you in and make sure that that happens. Brilliant. I loved everything about that fight. Um, It did show that a non-kinetic energy weapon can be effective in this sport and take out one of the hardest hitters in the game. I loved everything about that fight. It was entertaining. It was fun. Um, And by the way, brilliant strategy on P1's fight. Don't repaint the bot before your next fight. Let it go in there looking like trash because then the judges have no idea what damage happened during the fight. So smart. I also want to point out uh, another match that I can't let go (laughs) without mentioning. Um, The Sawblaze and Hijinks match. I mean... Yeah, man, hijinks. If you're going to go out that way, like that's the way to do it. It never died. It never like gave in the fight. Sawblaze removed its tail, like its batteries and whatever was like hanging out of it. I mean, there is no, no explanation for how hijinks continued on. And yet it was just like from, you know, it was undead. It just like kept going. It, it was incredible. And like, that's the kind of show you want to put on if that's, if, if you're, if you're not going to win. And, um, ah, man, I mean, just Sawblaze looking as good as ever. And I, uh, I'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed that it continues on for them. Cause I, again, to me, like most exciting match of the night is just like watching Sawblaze do its thing. Like that combination of you know controlling your opponent and then also you know super damage i think is is like the sweet spot so that was really exciting to see i was probably clutching like chris's arm so hard the entire time because i i thought maybe hijinks was going to be able to do it but um man it was it was so entertaining all around for both bots so way to go jen way to go jameson oh okay my favorite part of that fight was jameson in the interview saying that the tail presents a interesting dilemma for Sawblaze. And what's one of the first <laughs> things he does? Cuts the thing off. I loved it. <laughs> it made me laugh. Like when that moment happened and he just sliced the tail off, I was like, yes, that is so good. That is storytelling in its finest. That's so good. Ah, oh, so good. I love that fight so much. Um. All right. Uh, how you you guys want to talk about glitch at all? Is there anything that hasn't been said about glitch? I, I I would say like okay, two things. One, obviously, I feel bad for glitch and them having to go out at the round of thirty two by forfeiting. You know their their championship run. Can't wait to see the robot back. I mean, I think we're going to see some really interesting changes to the robot if and when it returns to season seven. I think the other thing is like 
Witch Doctor has been having a weird season. Like, um, like its matchups have been a little weird. And like when you read their build reports and their kind of like recap reports, you see like, oh wow, production's just kind of given them these strange matchups. Like, um, you know, like the mammoth fight happened at the very end of the day. Like Witch Doctor was supposed to fight at like 10 a.m. They ended up fighting at 10 p.m., you know, and um like it, it wasn't planned. They had to kind of scramble to to change their configuration for Mammoth. Same thing with like you know they they weren't originally scheduled to fight Rusty, you know, and like um, I think that um, they've just been having a weird season. I mean, like I'm glad that they're <clears throat> that they're winning so much. I mean, like they are absolutely one of the the very best teams inside of the pits. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we haven't really seen kind of witch doctor at its full potential so far this season. And I'm really hoping that, you know, round of 16, et cetera, kind of beyond um, we, we do see kind of like what, what witch doctor is capable of. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so a recap of the blog post from Kyle Miller and the glitch team. So um, they are such well-prepared rookies. They actually came with three frames and two fully completed bots, right? One of the bots they had set to the side to upgrade the weapon speed because they had a design flaw that kept their weapon speed low, which actually helped them in most of their fights, right? Gave them a bit more engagement, but they were trying to make one of the bots have a higher weapon speed so they could fight things with long forks and stuff like that, right? Stuff that you actually want to have higher weapon speed for. Um, but that bot was missing its power loom. So the, the cable system that goes from the battery system to the weapon system. Um, since Witch Doctor was adding forks for the first time for their fight with Glitch, they wanted to have that higher weapon speed and be a little bit more maneuverable so they could actually win the engagements with Witch Doctor's very fast, very powerful weapon. Um, so they basically made the kind of last minute call to rush the the changeover to the new bot and to fix the weapon system in the new bot. The problem is they they could not do that because when they went to go kind of put every take everything off the bot and put everything back on the bot, um, they had some shavings get into the electrical components. And that's a big problem. If you go into the grinding area, you're going to have issues with that. A lot of other teams have mitigation strategies to prevent that. That's a total, you know, issue that everybody has to deal with. And these are rookies and they were dealing with like last minute issues and they just weren't able to get it together. Um, it's a learning experience. It just stinks that it's a learning experience they had to, to have in the round of 32. And before they got to fight Witch Doctor, which is like epic, who, you know, getting to fight at Witch Doctor your first season is epic. And that's awesome. Um, and yeah, Witch Doctor has, I think because of that, had a weird season. Now, I don't think Mammoth is a gimme by any means. Um, I don't think that's an easy fight for anybody. I mean, they beat, uh, they beat very powerful vertical spinners in the past, including in the round of 32 last year, they were able to beat Copperhead, you know, it's a tough robot to fight, but, um, but obviously it is also very hard to beat, beat Mike Galately's driving, no matter what you do. The guy's incredible. Uh, as good as Andrea is at keeping that team together and putting out a fantastic bot, Mike is amazing at driving it. And that that's just hard to beat. Um, so I feel bad for Glitch. I want them to come back. And uh, I do feel bad for Witch Doctor 2 because the perception 
that they are getting this season going into now the round of 16 is not good. It doesn't look good on them to have a rusty fight into a last minute switch over to a mammoth fight. It's not great. I mean, they fought Endgame this year. Like, let's keep that in mind. They fought Endgame and put up a really good fight against them. But like, yeah, it's weird. It's weird for them. And it's not their fault. I mean, it's not like they choose the matchups. They're given the matchups. So we, you know, I think a lot of like the blame is placed on them from people who I see, you know, chatting online. But like, it's not like they're choosing who they fight. You you can't blame them. I I agree with that 100%. And quite frankly, I think so originally in the Rusty fight, they were supposed to fight Smee. Um. Like that's, that's the, the, like what I've been reading and Smee, while I understand, you know, they're not a top rank robot is a robot specifically designed to beat four wheel drive vertical spinners. That's what Smee is made for, right? Those two undercutters are supposed to get around and slice at your back wheels that don't have any protection on them, which by the way, which doctors back wheels don't have any protection on them. If you're going to pick a fer- a perfect archetype robot for Smee to fight based on Smee's design, which doctor is it? And one of the biggest problems we've had with Smee is they haven't gotten to fight their, they have not gotten to fight the paper to their scissors. You know what I mean? And it's, it stinks for Smee because they were scheduled to fight the perfect example of a paper to their scissors and they didn't get to do it because they were too beat up after their fight with, um, with Gigabyte. So the whole, there's a whole lot of what could have been in this season for Witch Doctor. And I guess in this case, Smee too. And that's too bad. Well said, Kyle. All right, um, <clears throat> let's uh, let's jump into our predictions um, again. Like we had last week, we have nine fights. I'm assuming two of them are going to be relegated to YouTube. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think BattleBots has has told supporters which two this week around, but um, but yeah, I guess that's something to consider. Uh, let's jump into our first fight of the night: the play-in match for the 31 seed, Hydra versus Defender. Kyle, your prediction. It all depends on if Hydra is working. If Hydra is working, this is an easily Hydra fight. They got the low ground. They've got the ability to do some massive damage. Can you imagine what would happen to Defender if they get launched 12 feet into the air and land on top of that arm, that top part of the arm? Like, this is definitely Hydra's fight to lose unless they're not working. And then they're just going to get bullied around that box. Um, I'm going to give this one to Hydra. I'm going to assume that Jake and the boys got it together and that it's working. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction, Hydra versus Defender. My heart wants to say Defender, but I'm going to have to go with Hydra on this one. Just, you know, based on the the numbers. Okay. What numbers? (laughs) Just like their previous experience and, uh, They've had three. They've had three fights to kind of work things out. Defender, I believe, has had two, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel also feel like Hydra's kind of had a sticky season, though. Um, I'm I'm gonna be devil's advocate, and I'm gonna try to break ranks here. Uh, it's also self interest um, because I've been doing so terrible in these selections uh, to uh, be one of the very uh, few people that get everything right. So I'm going to say Defender. Okay. That's my, that's my goal here. <laughs> well said, Chris. Okay, Defender. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Uh, the winner of this match, either, uh, well, I guess you, you think it's going to be Defender, will go on to face the number two seed, Ribot. So uh, I guess for you, Defender versus Ribot. 
Oh, well, this one's definitely would, I would think go to Ribot. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who fights Ribot. <laughs> Ribot is, uh, it's a nasty, nasty machine. Kyle, uh, let's see. You, you're going with Hydra. So Hydra versus Ribot. Your, your thoughts there? Yeah. Ribot. Who can beat Ribot? I, you know what I mean? I know they did not get to fight any spinners. And I guess in the scenario that I've created here, they still aren't going to fight any spinners, but, uh, who can beat Ribot right now? They're, they're incredible. I mean, just what a great team. I'm so impressed by these guys. Lindsay, uh, your, your thoughts. Uh, let's see, you're advancing Hydra. So Hydra versus Ribot, who do you think is going to win? I'm going to go three for three with uh, all of you and say Ribot on this one. Okay. Lindsay, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. The number 15 seed Mad Catter versus the number 18 seed Black Dragon. This one is insane. Um, you know, I guess, uh, we have seen Mad Catter get knocked out this season. We have not seen Black Dragon get knocked out. Mm, Perhaps that means Black Dragon has the edge because what can Mad Catter do to disable them? I don't know. Um, but, oh man, it's hard. Like, I, it's it's kind of a, I think probably a coin flip. Uh, if you made these bots fight ten times, you might get a different outcome. You know, five of those times. So I'm still going to give it to Mad Catter because I think it's hard to uh, deny Calvin Eba's driving. Um, but you know, this is a tough one. Mm. Chris, your thoughts: Mad Catter versus Black Dragon. I'm I'm gonna second Lindsay, and I'm gonna think that this one's gonna be eked out by um, uh, some some impressive driving. Okay, Kyle. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, they're both good drivers. Kyle, I guess your your thoughts: Mad Catter versus Black Dragon. What I like about this fight is this is two teams that don't always throw money at the problem. Right? These are two teams that will refurbish their motors. They will fix their stuff. They will make sure it's working. They'll use the same motors from one season to the next. And they will check it and work on it to make sure it's right for the fights. And I think that's great. That being said, this is such a tough one to call. There are more configurations that Mad Catter could use to defeat Black Dragon than Black Dragon has configurations to defeat Mad Catter. So I'm going to give it to Mad Catter. And if I am wrong, I will be very happy about it. Okay. Uh, Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. The number seven seed blip. Versus the number 26 seed, Valkyrie. Uh, Blip is literally a big wedge. Valkyrie does not do well against wedges. Um, Valkyrie needs room to spin up, which is hard to find in the new arena. And Blip does not need room to do anything. It can flip you right up against the wall. It can flip you in the tiniest short corner. It can flip you on top of the upper deck if it wants. So I'm giving this one to Blip. Uh, I think this fight's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to see it. And yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and watch Blip launch Valkyrie and Valkyrie's spinning weapon. Keep them in the air for an additional 25 seconds so they can helicopter around the box and it'll be awesome. Nice. Lindsay, are you uh, flipping for Blip or uh, is this going to be a Valkyrie win? I think that uh, I'd have to go back and look at, you know, who Blip has fought already this season. But I think Valkyrie is probably amongst the most destructive that they have fought. 
So it's going to be a real test for them. But uh, for a lot of the same reasons that Kyle voted blip, I'm also saying blip. Okay. Chris, your thoughts. Blip versus Valkyrie. Yeah, I'm going to go with the current here, and I'm going to say rock, paper, scissors, blip. Okay. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. The number 10 seed Jackpot <clears throat> versus the number 23 seed Tombstone. Uh, this... <laughs> This is a this is going to be fantastic. This is two uh, super high energy gnarly bots. Um, uh, literally, just you know the uh, the uh, the only difference between these two bots is uh, ninety degrees, right? Um, I'm going to go with the vert with the reach on this one. I'm going to give this one to jackpot. Okay, jackpot. Kyle, your uh, your prediction here: jackpot versus tombstone. So. The rookies that have come in in the past two years uh, have all been fans of this show. They have all seen Tombstone tear through this competition, and they have all come in with their very own ideas of how to beat a Tombstone. And more often than not, we're seeing that those ideas work. Um, I'm going to give this one to the $7,000 bot from Vegas, the hometown boys. I hope they win for their sake. They will get a thunderous applause in that arena. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction, jackpot versus tombstone. Call me crazy, but I'm saying tombstone. Oh, you're crazy. (laughs) Lindsay, uh, tell us why. Um, I mean, you don't have to, (laughs) I mean, Now you do. <laughs> um, I think because. Well, I will say this. It is literally never crazy to bet on Tombstone to win a robot fight. So yeah. you do not have to accept being crazy on this one. <laughs> I just see it working out in their favor. I uh, Perhaps it's a uh, um, divine vision. Love it. You're a divine vision. Aw, thank you, fiance. Uh, Lindsay, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. The number three seed Whiplash versus the number 30 seed Ice Wave. Yeah, this one, I think the the seeding says it all. Like, I just see Whiplash getting this one done, uh, and I look forward to seeing them, you know, hopefully continue to dominate. Uh, Chris, uh, your, your thoughts. Whiplash versus Ice Wave. Uh, this one I'm going to give to Whiplash, Ice Wave, um, Awesome, awesome job in their in their last fight, but I think that Whiplash is probably going to not let them to get up to full speed and is going to control and dominate the match. Got it. Kyle, uh, your thoughts? Whiplash and Ice Wave? Back when Whiplash was pretending to still be a spinner, I would say that Ice Wave had a fair chance of winning this fight, but now Whiplash has given up any pretenses of being a spinner. They are going to go in there with the wedgiest of front wedges and a lifter that can dominate, and they're going to bully them around the box and not let them spin up and win this fight handily. No one's worried about the kind of mid-cutter of Ice Wave catching a right angle on Whiplash's plow or something like that, you know, or they're going to go with super, super tall plows, I guess. What, 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 do you, what do you think, Kyle? I think that's very likely. I think they could even rip off one of those side plows. But as we've seen, Matt Vasquez can adjust on the fly when he loses part of his armor package. Um, and I think he'll be able to handle that. The other thing that you have to remember is Ice Wave's going to have a hard time spinning up the speed in this arena and has had a hard time spinning up the speed in this arena. Um, if you don't give them room to spin up, there's very little places for them to escape to spin up. And Ice Wave, as many people have pointed out, has no self-writing, or self-writing options of any type. So 
Yeah, yeah. I, I can see like Matt Vasquez is just totally punishing style really working um, in a, uh, you know, in an arena where, you know, his horizontal opponent doesn't really have a lot of space. Interesting. I'm actually really, really looking forward to, uh, to seeing this fight. Um, Kyle, let's stick with you for the next fight. Uh, the number 14 seed Cobalt versus the number 19 seed Yeti. Bye, Yeti. Oh, sorry. What? And I love Yeti. Yeti is literally my favorite robot. I love everything about Yeti. Um, but one of the things that Yeti has to its advantage is the extremely aggressive driving style of Greg Gibson. And yeah, Matt Maxim's a better driver. Mm. He's just a better driver. Yeah. Um, he is a control bot driver who has now been given literally the most powerful vertical spinner in the game. And that's a terrifying proposition for anybody to go up against. So yeah, this one has to go to Cobalt and Matt Maxim. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction, number 14 seed Cobalt versus Yeti. Can't disagree with any of that. Giving it to Cobalt. Hey, Chris, your thoughts, Cobalt and Yeti. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think the Yeti is going to get cooked. <laughs> okay. Is that a metaphor? I don't know if that's a saying, but I like it nonetheless. Uh, Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight. The number six seed Rotator versus a fellow Floridian, the number 27 seed Captain Shredderator. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Captain Shredderator is going to uh, lose a little bit of its spin. Okay, we're going to go with Rotator. Um, all right, uh, Kyle, your thoughts, Rotator and Captain Shredder. <laughs> is that another saying oh. that, people, that people don't say? Wait, what? I guess that's another saying that people don't say. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Kyle, uh, your thoughts. I'm, I'm just working on my isms now. <laughs> Rotator and Captain Shredder, Kyle. Yeah, so an undercutter is not necessarily the best thing to go up against a uh, full or a you know full body uh, spinner, uh, but a giant diamond shaped plow sure is. And don't worry, rotators got both. So I'm gonna go ahead with rotator on this one. Okay, <clears throat> Lindsay, uh, your thoughts on this fight, rotator and Captain Shredder? Yeah, that plow is gonna do all of the work for them. Um... Definitely Rotator. Okay. Lindsay, let's stick with you for our final fight of the night. The number 11 seed Tantrum versus one of your favorite bots, the number 22 seed Gigabyte. (laughs) Um, Yes, Tantrum is one of my favorite bots. Um, And uh, I'm really excited to see them, uh, you know, just tank it out against Gigabyte and get the win. Okay. Chris, your thoughts, Tantrum and Gigabyte? I think gigabytes kind of uh, gigabyte the dust. Mm, okay. That is a saying. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, and uh, and Kyle, your your prediction. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm gonna go ahead and say tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say anything else, or is that it? I I. It's just I. It's just a feeling. Hard to bet against Tantrum yeah. this year, especially after their performance last year. So, Tantrum. Well said, Kyle. All right. That wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook later today to send us your predictions. After the break, our interview with Pete Abramson, sponsored by Max Amps.
This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, the bot whisperer himself, Mr. Pete Abramson. Pete is an expert in combat robotics design, and his job at BattleBots has traditionally been to meet with builders, understand their strategy and their bot design, and explain the nuances of combat robotics to the production team. Starting in season five, he's taken a more prominent role on the show as the bot whisperer, giving Chris, Kenny, and the fans interesting tidbits of information before important matches. Pete is a former competitor on BattleBots, running the very popular bot Ronin during the original run of the show. We're huge fans of Pete. We're really looking forward to hanging out with him for, uh, you know, just super fanning and geeking out together uh, in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Pete. Thank you. Thank you. It is great to be back. I've always enjoyed your podcast is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's really cool that there are so many BattleBots podcasts like now today. Like, I feel like we're 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 spoiled for choice now, and like, I just love the the volume of of content that's coming out around the show, and um, and you know, like, we are one of them. So there, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I I was looking, and the last time we had you on was one year ago this week, which was just like timing wild timing yeah right it's all about timing and like so much has happened in the last year so like maybe we could start there like catch us up on the last year we've seen a whole new season um film in a new venue we had the return of the live show we had really incredible robots show up to season six we're now in the middle of the round of 32 so obviously we can't talk about the entire season but I would love to get your thoughts on season six and kind of like what's happened in the last 12 months. So we moved venues. We moved to Vegas, which was a big deal. We are in a tent. Uh, it is the tent in only the term that there might be a fabric cloth outside to it, but there's more steel in it than most normal structures and buildings. So it is a building, but... It's fully air conditioned. It has great power. It has a whole, you know, it's a great place to have built the arena and to set up for an audience and to be able to film the event in. And then right next to it, we have a giant tent that is full of robots and people working on robots. Um, and static electricity, Pete. What was that? And static electricity. And yes, static that was a, <laughs> yes. that was a unknown thing at the time for all of us that, of course, we should have known. Vegas has... 2% humidity and 105 degrees. So you think that that might cause some static when you walk on a plastic floor? I don't know. Oh, yes, of course it would. Um, so that was definitely a hurdle for a lot of builders. I mean, there was quite a few, if you noticed in the pits when you were there, lots of static strips, people laid down on the floor. So they were grounding their feet out all the time before they touched their bot. So they weren't blowing up a speed controller or you know any other sensitive equipment receivers that might not enjoy a static charge. That was definitely an unforeseen issue and was 
very disheartening for all of us. I mean, I, mm. that four was already in and it wasn't like, oh, we can just go swap it out. You know, it's so now we know going into it yeah. the next time, this is not to happen, guys. We have to solve this problem and not have a static based yeah. floor. So, uh, Jenny, we, we, Jenny yeah. was too busy doing college football and not able to come and join us at BattleBots, which I totally understand. I mean, that's her main day job. Uh, and she's great at it. And we love it when we can have her, but we just couldn't get her back for this time because it didn't yeah. mesh with her schedule. Unsure if we're going to get her next year because there's a baby on the way. Um, mm. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So, Congratulations to Jenny Taft. Wow, yes. Pete is just blowing up her announcement. I love it. <laughs> It's not, you can look at any shot of her on Instagram and it's her showing her <laughs> belly. So you know, she's all about talking about her baby. Um, and what other new things happened? Uh, there was a, I guess since Jenny wasn't there, I did a few more things in the pits um, yeah. that I've not done before. Did yeah. a few interviews. Wish we could have done more. We all sort of look back in hindsight and go, oh God, I wish we could have done this and this and this. But we only have so many hours in the day and we only had two weeks to film it in. So it was only so much to cram in there. Yeah. It was a lot of work. Um, what else has changed? The, the bots this season, like the teams have never been more professional. They have never been more prepared. Even Will Bales showed up with, you know, he still had to build the robot there, but it became a working robot after he built it. So it was amazing. <laughs> It it was full of a lot less suck. It it had no suck in it. It was great robot. Yeah. Uh, and we have a round of 32, 34 to 32, uh, that any one of those bots could easily be a championship bot. Yeah. Like there isn't like, you don't go, oh yeah, that's just happened to make it in. No, every bot that made it in was like, oh yeah, of course I could see their path. Yeah. I could see their trajectory. Yeah. So it was an amazing year for things like that. One one of the big things uh, for myself personally was I got to go to BattleBots for the first time myself. Um, so like <clears throat> when we talked last year, I'd never been to the venue before. I'd never like seen a heavyweight fight live. Um, <clears throat> I just watched the show as a fan. And um, in August, I was able to go and... Greg gave me a pit pass, like a one day pit pass. And I got to walk the pits for the, for the first day of the round of 32. And, um, so like, I, I basically caught up to where I am, like when I was actually in Vegas, like where, where we're, where we're watching it. And, uh, spoiler on Thursday, there's a bunch of me. No, wait, um, oh, where's it? No, nah, maybe it's next week. There's a lot of me in like the next the next episode, so watch out for that. Um, you're you're going to enjoy that. Um, it was funny. My wife was my wife was watching one of the last episodes, and she went, "Wait, I just saw Mark's tracking in the stands." I was like, "Yeah, he was right up there behind me. Of course he was." So, yeah, yeah. I you know it's like funny. It's like I feel like I'm I'm on a BattleBots journey. You know, like I started off as a fan, and then I became a super fan. And then I like went to the pits and like, I felt like it was the most incredible experience. And like, it breaks my heart that like fans can't go into the pits. Like I know that we had those, like those little, like just 
kind of blitzkrieg kind of like come through the pits, like stand behind the line and like get poker chips and stuff um, for like kind of the VIP experience. But like I spent the entire day there and it was like, I felt I had never been in a place like that ever before. Like I'd never experienced anything like that before. It was like, it was like an engineering. Norwalk isn't like that for you? Norwalk is. It's like, I think, I think like when you're standing next to a small car that you like saw an engineer build and it's gorgeous and it's like the the most perfectly intricate custom thing you've ever seen and you know you have somebody like Aaron Hill trying to explain to you like this is like the thing that we built for this other thing and like <laughs> and you're looking at the inside of this just the most gorgeous machine and it was like you get that at Norwalk but it's it's like on a much smaller scale, you know, like it's really something else to just look at the size of these things um, and the scale of the building and the whole thing. I don't know. Like, so I, I'm walking around and I'm like, wow, like we, I feel like the fans would love this. Like, how can we bring this pit experience, this like amazing, like artistry and engineering to the fans in a different way. And like, I just, I don't know. Like, I just felt like, like there's a whole other show here. There's a really important show here that people would love. There's a second show that just exists in the pits and has no fighting at all. Pete, you know what I mean? Like almost the fighting is like, is oh, the, the fighting is almost like, you know, inconsequential compared to like this, these engineering marvels, you know, I, I don't know. Like, um, so I, I'm now I'm in kind of the confused part of my BattleBots journey, you know? So I would say the, the biggest hurdle to getting to that is money as always. It's always money, money and time, right? Who's to do it? How are we to do it? How do we afford to do it? Um, You know, money is obviously money is one of those issues about this year that became very big and became a big discussion um, about compensation for builders, which is, yeah, I don't have any answers. Like I can't, I, I want them. I my ultimate fantasy for robot combat is that this is their day job. They don't have to go work somewhere else and see and see somebody else's parts. They only have to make their stuff because they get paid enough to be able to a build the bot and make the bot as best they can, as well as to pay themselves to be able to do this mm. and have space. That's my yeah. ultimate goal. I don't know how to achieve that. Um, with, my understanding of how TV works and what Discovery is paying for, it doesn't it doesn't match. Um, Discovery only pays for such a percentage of the show, and we have to get Sky TV and other things, other contracts to help pay for that, um, to allow us okay. to make the show at this level and look this way. So it's a tough, yeah, it's a very tough situation to sort of like, I don't know how to put more money into it because I want more money in it. I want the Autodesks or even bigger, you know, huge chunks of change that could then just get disseminated to all the builders. Like that would be great. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I'm not that level of producer. I didn't go to that part of producing school. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I, it's amazing. Like you've, you've just jumped straight to cost. This is going to be like my 40th question. So like, I'm glad that we're, we're just coming right through it. Um, you know, like I, I, I feel like 
I don't know. Fans, obviously, they are such experts at solutions. You know what I mean? Like fans will throw out the craziest solutions. Armchair quarterbacking has always been part of every sport. So, (laughs) yes. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the fans look at this and they just say like, oh, it's simple. Just put it on Twitch, you know, become a become a Twitch like affiliate, like do it like esports. You know what I mean? Like make make an esports kind of arena and like have Coca-Cola come in and give them $10 million and, you know, we'll, we'll have Netflix like buy the rights and they can cut it together, you know, as like a highlight show or something like that. And, you know, I don't know, like streaming and the internet's like the solution. Like maybe it's not cable TV, um, especially, I mean, and largely it's like around the sponsors, you know, like cable TV really wants to kind of take the Chevy sponsorship, but maybe Chevy wants to put a million dollars into BattleBots, you know, and have a Chevy robot, you know, um, but it's like a very different show. It's like a very different format. Like it's probably not as well produced. It's like probably happening a lot more. It's like a very large, very expensive Norwalk Havoc, you know? Um, like why, why are, why, why are we still on cable, Pete? Like what is um, <laughs> like, you know, sadly, like, do you, do you have thoughts about our distribution and, and sponsorships, you know? Sadly, um, we aren't that popular. <laughs> Like we're only <laughs> we're only seeing about uh you know for each week we uh, the seven day I think we're just over a million viewers based upon the Nielsen ratings right I mean yes there's plenty yeah. of other people seeing it from different ways but we aren't that big of a deal sadly like that's the part I sort of mm-hmm. have to you know it would be great if we were much bigger than that if we were you know whatever Bridezilla or bachelorette kind of levels but we're not that people aren't tuning in i mean if we had a bigger viewership if we had four million people turn tuning in each week that would change things radically like there would be more advertising going on during our show which would just everything would raise yeah but that's not happening yeah yeah we're a fairly niche show yeah i mean like it's sad I mean, as I love this sport, obviously, (laughs) but, um, you know, and uh, we are, I count our blessings as we're lucky enough to have hex bugs in stores and t-shirts now in target. Like, I mean, those are, those are huge leaps from where we were. Yeah. Me, yes. I was, I was lucky enough to be part of Jack specific back in the day and have a couple of Ronin toys, but you know, those were in a couple of Toys R Us's and they weren't as big like Hexbug is really getting us out there. Yeah. Like those are great pathways to getting new viewership. This kid's saying, I want that robot. Yeah. So it's tough. I, I, I want to explore just a couple more things about costs. Cause I know that you care about this. Like, like we do, you know, like I feel like cost kind of gets at the sustainability of the sport, you know, like totally. there are, there are a finite number of people in the world who have the capability and the skill to build a 250 pound killer robot. And there are an even smaller number of people who have the like resources to say, yeah, I can spend 50 grand and I can build a team and they can call up all these sponsors and we can kind of cobble together the, the robot and do that for six years in a row where I'm basically taking 50 grand out into my front yard, burning it. And then like coming back the next year, you know, and like, I think, and, and, 
taking my two weeks vacation from whatever yes. my job is, and this is my vacation, right. is going and working even harder right. <laughs> than I normally do. And yeah. So like there, there's that kind of side of sustainability. There are only so many wealthy engineers on the planet, right? And we will as, maybe exhaust them at some point. Um, the other thing too is like, because it's not an open competition, you like you have robots where, you know, they can't all be end game, right? Or else no one would watch that, right? So, <clears throat> you know, now I have a $50,000 robot that I'm going to go 0 and 3, you know, or I'm going to go 1 and 2, and I'm never going to make the round of 32. And how many years in a row am I going to continue to do that? And how many more kind of separate right. bots do like exist out in America who are willing to kind of line up to, to build uncompetitive designs? I don't know. Like, I feel like we're kind of at this weird junction where, the builders are like, this is an incredibly expensive TV show, obviously, to produce. This is so much more expensive than Bridezilla. Bridezilla probably costs $6 a year to make. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, you know, this is millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, like, the the only kind of part of the equation that that's gets squeezed is the builder's wallets, right? Where they say, I know we will, we, it's- we, we will donate literally millions of dollars to this show because we love it so much. But, like, how many people are there like that you know yeah and i mean when when does the roi become a point that you're like i'm not getting back like this stock is not paying me in any way shape or form i've paid a lot in and it's now worth two cents um so that's a big part of this is when when does ray say i'm done yeah i'm really done yeah um or, or even, you know, Aaron Hill or, or, or Will Bales or like, when did they just say, I, I've put in too much. This could have been a house. Yeah. Easily. Right. You know, these three years of fighting robots would have been a very nice house somewhere in this country. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, not in Los Angeles, but <laughs> somewhere else. Yes. Right. Um, uh, but it's, we need, I want a balance to come forward. We need to find a way to get them more money. And I sadly don't have that answer. I don't know what that is. I wish yeah. I did. God, I wish yeah. I did. Cause I want that solved. And yeah. it's not like Greg and Trey are turning some blind eye. They are looking for that too, but yeah. it's just not showing up. Yeah. Pete, I'm going to pitch you an idea. And then I swear to God, we'll get to listener questions. Cause there's about a hundred of them. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. So here, here's my idea. All right. Like right now we have a very distributed kind of model of sponsorship where like all of the teams go out and they call up every single tiny machine shop in the Midwest and they, you know, beg for parts and stuff like that. And there are some teams that like just don't do anything and they just spend their kids' college savings, you know, on a robot. Um and so it's all, it's all like very disjointed, you know what I mean? Like it's all, it's, it's like a lot of kind of individual effort. Um, but maybe if we instead built like a coalition, you know, where like individual fans could commit like Kickstarter or Patreon or whatever, 50 bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month. And they know it went straight to the builders in the form of cash, right? Where small businesses that, you know, they can come forward and identify themselves and they can say, you know what, I'd like to sponsor 10 teams, you know, at the same time. Um, I'll I'll give you my barometer. So like Chris, Chris's cousin owns a small business, massive BattleBots fan, 
And I'm sure that if somebody came to Chris's cousin and was like, hey, for $5,000, you could have your small business name like on the robot, he'd write a check like in a second, you know? And maybe there's a hundred people like Chris's cousin, you know, out there. And we could perhaps raise a couple million dollars, you know, um, if we just kind of promote this, this coalition idea, you know, um, I, th- I think there's, there's just like a way to structure, like all of the passion that the fans have, um, and all the small business owners who love this show. How, how do we get a payback for these small businesses? Are we just putting a sticker on a bot? Are we giving them the lower third kind of thing? Um, so yeah. one of the big deals, one of the parts that hurts the most is one discovery rejects a sponsor, yeah. which they do quite often. People bring in DeWalt or Black and Decker or somebody like this, right? Well, discovery is large. I don't know if everybody realizes how many cable channels they own. Everything that is the home networks and all of the, you know, how to build a better house kind of things, they own all of that. Yeah. If anybody has ever advertised on any one of those other stations, that is valued higher Mm. than any sponsorship coming in through us. Right. So Black and Decker, who might be attached to some home repair show, cannot be on a battle bot because that conflicts with that commercial that they had on that one show. And so this is where the big, like when people goes, why are battle bots rejecting my sponsors? Battle bots is not rejecting your sponsor. Right. Battlebot wants you to have every sponsor, right. but discovery has the right to say no, because it conflicts with their model right. and their normal advertising system. And so that is where one of the problems lies is it's hard to find a big enough thing that is not advertised on some other version of their network right. within the past five years or whatever it is. I mean, I guess, I guess the problem is, uh, you know, Chris's cousin does own Black and Jack Decker. So like, uh, <clears throat> all right, that, that idea goes out the door. I mean, uh, Chris, I'm curious. All right. Uh, you know, how much money do you think John Catrone would put up for a BattleBot? I know. We're just dive it in, are we? Jeez, full yeah. blast, Luke. He's going to wake up to like 300 emails on Thursday. Yeah, I know. He's going to have to sponsor half of Norwalk. <laughs> no, I. but I, I, Johnny aside, I mean, there are tons of, the, of those small business owners that I'm sure would, just for the bragging rights to say that they are one of the sponsors of a bot on Discovery, it doesn't necessarily need to have a, a returned interest in the form of their logo, you know, slapped on a bot or in the lower thirds. But, um, you know, if if uh, if a bot that appears on BattleBots did a local TV commercial for a sand and gravel plant uh, and then they get to kind of say, oh, yeah, this was on the Discovery Channel or something like that. I mean, that's value. Um, and, and then again, there's the, the people that just really kind of enjoy the sport. And it's the same reason why a, a deli might sponsor a, uh, you know, a, a peewee baseball team. It's not right. necessarily for some big paid return, but it's just, you know, put your name out there and, and say that we did something. I mean, there probably is some way to intertwine the smaller p- people, but getting, you know, who's going to go do the work to get all of those smaller things, right? This person is now tasked with, a lot of, is this their day job now? 
who's paying them, right? Like, so there, there is a lot of ideas that come out and how do we do it in a way that yeah. everybody gets paid to be able to do their job. And that's, a, that is, that yeah. is the tough part. Yeah. I mean, I would love. It, it sounds like a, a, a good candidate for like a workshop where we put together stakeholders, like builders, um, pe- people who would be, uh, you know, on the wavelength of a, a sponsor or, and uh, you know, maybe even folks from uh, discovery and you, and you essentially have a war room scenario where you put people together and say, you have eight hours in this room to figure out how we can create a, a new pipeline for, um, uh, for, for uh, sponsorships that uh, can safely sidestep some of the uh, legal blockades uh, that are imposed by discovery, but, right. you know, opens an availability for a you know, team to raise 10, 15, $20,000 in a season. I like that. That works. I mean, that you're our messenger. You got to bring it up. All right. Just, <laughs> All right, just hold on. take it. There, there you go. That's a free idea. Greg. All right. <laughs> free solution Greg. to this problem. <laughs> Um, all right, Pete, I'm going to turn you over to Kyle. Kyle has, you know, about a million and a half listener questions. A million and, and a half? Um, you know, That's like this, more than two hours. This, this is, <laughs> this is fantastic. Uh, Pete, I love you. We, we love you. So, um, I appreciate that, you know, you, I'm, I'm always you here, guys. came on the show and I promise that it will not be, it will not be another okay. year before, Good. before you're we on could talk about um, other things. We could talk I'll about Obi-Wan it. Kenobi. We could talk about D&D. Like, we don't have to talk <laughs> about robots if you want to in the offseason. That's true. I'm a nerd of that's all true. kinds yeah, of nerds. That's true. So I'll totally dive into whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Pete. All right, fine. One, one, one last question. All right. Um, so you brought up Norwalk. I didn't. Um, have you watched Norwalk? You know, what, what do you think? I've watched a couple of small fights. Yeah. I haven't watched whole things, which, but knowing that you yeah. do color commentating for like eight, 10 hours, I don't, I have no idea how you do that. Like I can barely make it through one of my pieces that are 30 to 45 seconds long without losing the thread at the end and my mouth going to mush. Like I start, I can conceive of what I'm trying to say and my mouth ceases to be able to put out the idea. <laughs> it just turns to word salad. Yet you can continue to talk. I have no idea how you do that. Pete, to be fair, we do it poorly. So, uh, you know, that's, you can do anything poorly for eight hours. I'll tell you that. And to, right? to be double fair, uh, we do it for like 14 hours. <laughs> Even yeah. more. Like, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. All right, Kyle, take it away. All right. Fair enough. So we're going to go into some listener questions, Pete. First of all, we're going to start, as always, with Alexander Archer, not because we do this in alphabetical order or anything, but because he always asks questions that are great to start with. Okay. Go. Um, so he, no problem. So in light of the the bots that weren't able to get fights, um, will the field be reduced next season so that there are less 2-0 teams or 1-1 teams not happy about being denied a third fight fight night battle. So that's a tough question because I mean, we, we schedule out, you know, the reason why we take about 60 bots is because there's always attrition. There's always the chance of failure and what's not having to have fights to fill. Um, and so the, to get the number of fights to fulfill an episode 
like the number we've come up with 60 works for us, right. To be able to do that. Um, this year was pretty compressed. Like when we've done long beach, we usually shot for longer. We had more time spent, but when we talked to the builders, all the builders said, I cannot give you three weeks. I could give you two. So now we're trying to compress to two, which is a lot of effort and a lot of work in that time. And it just became, it was a, it was an out for us as a production to sort of say, okay, uppercut has two fights. Both are KOs. They're going to the 32. It doesn't matter if they win or lose. I mean, I've talked to like Matt Vasquez, who's made some comments about it really would have been nice for that third fight because I really get to work out the bugs in those three fights. That's really what I use the fight card for. If I'm, you know, hopefully if I'm winning and I'm not freaking out, I'm using it to to really solve some of the problems before I get into the 32. And I know that is a deficit to all of the 2-0 and o bots that got moved on, was they did not get that one more test. But what we needed to do was make sure that bots that were on the cusp got three fights so we could see if they're going to make it in, right? We needed to make sure that, that those fights were more valued, even though it would have been nice to have Shatter get three fights and Whiplash to get three fights. But we were pretty sure from their record that they were moving on. And so those are, it is tough. This is stuff, decisions you have to make. Like you said, I'm working 18 hour days. We're shooting. We're like, crap, we only have the camera for so long. This is a union shoot. We got to make sure it fits within this time fret schedule. We have, a, we have a bunch of audience members that are in here. How long can we keep them? All of those things come into play. And so that's why it becomes, sadly, we weren't able to give everybody three fights. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, there was, and this is just me, like it seems like, um, you know, kind of in previous seasons, winning fights led to more fights, right? The bots that didn't get three fights or sometimes even two fights were the fight, the bots that like lost their first fight dramatically, lost their second fight dramatically. Um, and then, you know, if the bots won their first two fights, you wanted to see more from them so that you could understand their seating better. So you would give them another fight. And there seemed to be a bit of a reversal for that this season. Is there, is there a reason for that? Was that um, like, was there a reason kind of backstage about that or did the flow just kind of change? How did that come about? The, you know, the flow just kind of changed. It was just choices of, I, I, I know this robot is moving on, you know, uppercut, best example. I know this bot is going to move forward. Whether they lose their next fight, doesn't matter how dramatically they lose their next fight, they're still going to be in the round of 32. And that was sort of the kind of the decision-making process is we are short on schedule. How do we solve this problem? Well, this is a guaranteed moving forward. Do If we don't give them a fight, but we take this guy over here who's one and one, and we're going to see just where that's going to play out, that's really what we want to figure out is is to get those one-on-ones solved better. Um, you know, and it there is a lot of heartache that happens based on, like, if you're having a losing schedule. You know, that can really be a rough, like, if you got, 
you're 0-2, and you just said, well, you're not getting another fight, even though you you don't have a chance to make it in, right? Um, that's a rough, it's a hurtful thing, but we only have so much time. And that's what it really ends up coming down to, is how many fights can we film in a day? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, so uh, this might be a quick question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, when I'm will not this... bringing Ronan back. Oh, we know, we know. <laughs> Listen, when will the second season of Bounty Hunters air on Discovery Plus? Or is it even... I do not know that. Oh, fair enough. Well, there you go. That was a quick one. Um, all right, this is one that everybody wants to know. Is BattleBots going to keep the upper deck next season or scrap it or change it? Like, what's going on? with that thing. I know we might have to ask Trey this, not you, but like, what's going on with that? You should be asking Trey, but we, the, there will most likely be adjustments made to the upper deck. That's as much as I'm going to say. What exactly those adjustments are have yet to be solved, but there will probably be adjustments that are made. And it should be better for the bots that like to throw things out of arenas. That's the hopes. Are you getting British and adding a pit to the upper deck? Is that what's happening? No, no, no. And tornado didn't cheat. No, <laughs> we're not adding a pit. Okay. Good. I, I mean, we fought the war of the revolution for a reason. And it's so we don't have to have pits in our robot fights, Pete. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, yes, no pits, no pits, except for the ones where you repair robots, but no, no holes. We will fight on the shelves. We will fight on the pits and oceans. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Churchill. (laughs) Oh, I love it. All right. So Alexander's next question is a bit of a prediction game. Um, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic, but uh, do you th- is there a sense now that the pandemic will be under enough control that we can finally get some international teams, more international teams, I should say, uh, into the competition this year? Because we would love to see it. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, that's that's our ultimate goal. That's all we really want. I mean, it was it was heartbreaking to get to hear things like monsoon and all the other ones when it just said, "No, we're not letting you into this country." It's like what? I mean, you. The what production, the hoops production was jumping through and not being able to get it past the uh, I don't know which department of it was in Homeland Security, but there was we could not get it through the U.S. government to be able to get them over here. It was heart wrenching to look at crates of robots with their names spray painted on the side sitting in a pit. With no nothing, no persons, no parts on tables, just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense, and that's sad. Um, all right, so next question. What was your best memory from this season? Now that we only have about three episodes left, do you have a specific memory of this season that was, like, really awesome that you can talk about? Um, I actually, one of my favorites wasn't didn't happen in the arena. One of my favorites was doing the interview with Aaron Hill and talking about Blip. It was when he walked me through Blip, like my 
inner engineer was nerding out so heavily. Like I was just so squidgy inside. Like, oh my God, I can't believe what he's doing. I mean, he, I'd been told about this over the phone. I'd seen lots of video, but to stand there next to it and look inside that robot and witness how it's all working and the tools that he made to create, to wind the Dyneema, like it really got my, my inner robot maker. Just so excited. Kyle, I hate to cut in. I also got the kind of Aaron Hill, like, uh, pit side ex- explanation of blip and like, it bent my brain. Like it really did. It was like, um, when you look inside of it, it's so gorgeous. Like the, the inside of the robot is so gorgeous. And it's got this like bleeding, living kind of like twisting organic matter inside of it. It's like half, half animal, half machine. And like just tiny and cute as a button. I don't know. Like it's, I'm a huge fan of that robot. It's fantastic. Same here. I'm not supposed to probably have any favorites, but I love that robot. It's just like mechanically, it just so excited me. All right. And then this is, uh, you know, aside from the static electricity, this is our last question from Alexander. What was the most challenging part about the show being filmed in Vegas? Um, You know, I mean, COVID is always just was was always just this specter of doom hanging over you. You know, I was being, having been talent, I, but I still needed to do my job, which was go and interview all the builders. And like Chris and Kenny would not cross over into the pits because it wasn't like considered okay. And we had to sort of do a bunch of workarounds to make it so that I could go back there. And I would only be able to go back. I would spend, you know, I was double masked. I would spend an hour at most in the pits, never spend more than 10 minutes with any one person. And then I'd go back to the trailer, wash, gargle, everything I possibly could just to like, cause it was just this stupid looming thing hanging over us of we could all just get sick. And this whole thing just go like that. Like you had, think about it. If Chris got sick or Kenny or Farouk, like we're done, done. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So that was that was probably the most challenging was still, even though many of us were vaccinated, being in that mode of COVID safety and the intensity at which we had to be in and being in Vegas, like it makes you get yeah, sure you want to go have a drink. I just would run from my parked car through the hotel lobby to the elevator and up to my room. Like I just would not interact with other humans while I was there because I just didn't want to be a carrier in any way, shape, or form. Probably the most challenging thing. To be fair, that's how I've treated Vegas, even when there hasn't been a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) All right, so... But nobody got sick. No, nobody got sick. And, uh, you know, even though you couldn't, like, open all the doors and windows because it was 180 bajillion degrees outside. Oh, God. Um, So, yeah, no, that's great. Um, all right, so our next question comes from Slamo, Captain, and all-around quality human being, Craig Danby. Yes. He says, I don't have a question, but I want Pete to tell us about working with Mark Satrakian on The Master. Also, how is a, su- a suplex bot going to win next season? Suplex, 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 suplex. Um, maybe throw something on the upper deck and get it to stick. I don't know. That's a good way. 
Um, oh, you heard it here first, folks. The upper deck is going to be magnetic. That is the um, change that they're making. You're going to throw the bots up there, and they're going to stick. Uh, actually, sorry. I, I let it out. We're going to be sponsored by 3M. It's all covered in double stick. It's gluey, and you just get up there. It's like flypaper. But yes, paper. very high bond tape covering <laughs> the yes, entirety. DHB on everything. <laughs> I love it. Or Velcro, and we're going to put Velcro on the underside of all robots after when they get there. So they constantly stick when they get to the, on the upper deck. Uh, so working with Mark, I've known Mark since I, so I've known Greg since seventh grade. We've been like best friends when I was the new kid at, at junior high. And he walked into the library while I'm sitting there waiting to get my classes. And he goes, Hey, you the new kid. <laughs> and next thing you know, we're best friends, right? Like, I mean, that was my relationship with Greg. And then we were all friends with Satrakian in high school. We were all making videos together and doing crazy stuff, blowing up a lot of things. So Mark and Greg always have been a part of my life for a long period of time. I mean, Mark was my best man at my wedding. So um, on the master, the first master in 1994, I... Mark did all on his own uh, while he was working at Rick Baker's, um, built the whole thing. I was shooting Born to be Wild, the madcap adventures of a boy and his gorilla up in Seattle um, at the time and flew down to San Francisco to go help him with the very first Robot Wars in 94. So it was myself, Paul Rivera and Mark that were Team Sinister as, as a group. And then next couple of years, I built my own robot, um, Gigan, and, uh, you know, drove that. And But it wasn't until Mechadon, or actually some of the Snake, too, um, I would usually build, be done, and then drive over to hopefully load my car with everything so we could drive up north to San Francisco with all the robots. But I'd end up staying for 24 hours straight, helping Mark in some way, like finishing off whether it was the snake or the master or, or not the master, but uh mechadon. Um, and those were usually long nights, <laughs> long, long days and nights. And then he would sleep in the car ride and I would drive. How did that work? I don't know. We didn't even have Red Bull at the time. So that was what it was like working with Mark. Intense, very intense. Uh, random fun fact that I learned a, a can of Red Bull actually has less caffeine in it than a cup of coffee. And most of that is just in your head when you're drinking it. It does not actually give you wings. Who would have known? Who would have known? But the other thing is I hate coffee. I think coffee is dirt water, but that's just my palate. So sorry. So all those who love coffee, you enjoy it, but it's not my flavor. So. I'm a big fan of dirty bean juice, not hot leaf juice personally. <laughs> All right, so we have another Mark Satrakian-related question from Brian Lewis. Um, so he said, I'm interested in competitors that really push the threshold of design and capability, but um, often, but not ultimately, in effective ways. I find them inspiring. A recent example is Chomp and Joey Stevenson and their use of sensors for drive and weapon activation. Um, yes. Who else have you seen push the threshold in ways that you find interesting, like Zoe and like Mark Satrakian? Donald, um, there is an older robot uh, called Gear Crow, big, way over the weight um, by Peter Walker that, you know, he was just going for it. Like, I love stuff like that. Uh, 
Aaron Hill, perfect example. That's pushing an edge. But you know what? Not it, His isn't the only flipper. If you were to look inside and understand what's going on within the Wyachi clan and what is actually happening there inside Hydra, it is unbelievable. That is a chunk of technology that is out of this world well done. The programming alone in the timing of the valve sequence is so exquisite. And the the custom boards that Dick Stuplick made for them, like, you know, I, I, but tons of people are always pushing right on that fine edge. There's, everybody's bringing out newer speed controllers that are running at different voltages and are just tuned in such a way or, or Ribot who has their telemetry coming out on a screen on their radio, telling you temperatures and RPMs and torque loads of what's going on in their robot. So they have a better understanding of, wow, we should back off because this is going to probably set fire to our battery packs. If we keep going at this rate, can we also talk about that really great new brand new rookie this year, Todd Mendenhall? Brand spanking new to the sport, and man, what a fascinating oh, yeah, robot brand, he brought. Brand spanking new to the sport. He's never been around <laughs> robot combat at all. Never what heard of him. talking about? That's true. I keep forgetting about Triple Crown and just the insanity of what that was. Just the craziness of the wheel design and the motors inside and, and how it all was modular and bolts together and like it was a great thing todd was telling me you know he was like we were talking about the fact that he was going to fight valkyrie and he was like i i don't care this is like a dream come true and i'm like todd you've been around this sport he goes no being in this new version of BattleBots was a bucket list thing for me this is great i'm super happy to be here and even if my robot's trashed that's okay i'm just so excited to be a part of this this version of BattleBots and to show off what I can do. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So Tom Brisbane has just one ke- a question. He says, Pete, to incorporate that infamous line before the Bloodsport versus Sub-Zero match before the bracket, who did you fancy to F sh up? <laughs> uh, Bloodsport was going to, uh, what was it? Uh, Duck shift up. Yeah, I think something like that. Yes, you Facebooked it. I like it. Yeah, something along those lines. I think I think that's what I said. All I remember is the brilliant chastising. I mean, first of all, after it came out of my mouth and I realized what I said (laughs) on camera, you know, and I'm starting to collapse. And then, of course, Chris properly chastised me with you do realize this is a family show, Pete, right? (laughs) So. Yes, that went out to the house. I think the whole audience got to hear me swear and be my potty mouth self. So. All right. And then this will be my last question before I pass you off. Whiplash team member De- uh, Debbie Daniels Vasquez um, says she has a two part question. Number one, who gives best hugs ever? Fair enough. That was her first question. Uh, who gives the best hugs? And obviously it's Debbie. I mean, she is the mom of BattleBots. So what are you going to do there? Right. Yes. Um, all right, so she says, you've done a crazy amount of special effects work for film, TV, etc. Which of your past projects was most fun to work on and which was the most challenging? One of the most rewarding was probably Hellboy. I think uh, we, the shop, Spectral Motion, was formed for that film. Um, 
And the group, like we've all were people that have worked all over Hollywood and worked all together at different shops at different times. And it felt like this was the best of the best in this room to do Hellboy. Like we had some of the sculptors, all everybody in there was supremely talented to do special effects. And it showed in the product we made. I think that Hellboy's effects were some of the highest level quality effects. And then to be working for Guillermo, who then wants to show off these effects. Most things it's like, oh, hey, what film did you work on? Well, I worked on that movie. And what did you do? Well, you know when that person's hiding under stairs and like there's those three frames in the dark where all of a sudden some teeth flash and that's it. Well, I built the puppet that did, you know, that's usually what happens to us. Where Guillermo's like, no, no, no. I'm going to shine a light on this. I'm going to put the goddamn camera in front of it. I want to see it. Don't you understand? And so he would just put our things up there on the screen for everybody to really see and and be able to notice. So that was one of the probably most rewarding films I got to work on was Hellboy. Um, Men in Black 2 was pretty damn enjoyable. Uh, I enjoyed greatly. All I had to do was puppeteer. Uh, Satrakian built all the stuff, but um, Lady in the Water, working with M. Night was a pretty impressive thing. Uh, he really cares about filmmaking. It was like right there in the middle of it and right behind camera. He doesn't sit back at Video Village and watch on a screen with sunglasses on. He is in the thick of it. Um, and that was great. Uh, most challenging. Um, Warriors of Virtue, possibly. We were shooting in China. That was a, it was a tough, it was a tough shoot. Um, what other films were like really, really hard? You know, I mean, The Blob, my first film was, was tough. We, a lot of hours, worked a lot of, spent a lot of time on set and just didn't sleep much. Um, I don't even remember all the other films I've worked on. So <laughs> you'd have to look at my IMDb page and go, what about this film? Oh, that one. Right. Now I remember, you know, I've, I've blanked most of it. So, so your career is spanning like back to the blob to like that version of the blob. Yes. Yeah. That version of the blob, 1988, the first of the really weird remakes in, in Hollywood, I imagine, uh, to all the way up to Guillermo del Toro and, uh, you're doing Hellboy with him? Yes. Like, this is ridiculous, man. You, you have a crazy film career. I love this. It's it's pretty full. I forget all the things I've worked on because it's been so long until people go, wait, you worked on iRobot. And I was like, yeah, well, all I did was sort of build a hand so that we could grab a doorknob. It wasn't any, but I worked on iRobot. Um, you know, I worked on Men in Black 2. I worked on the TV show Dinosaurs. I worked on a little bit on Adam's Family. I worked on... Uh, Beethoven, the, you know, the St. Bernard, like we built a full puppet dog. Um, I've worked on a crap ton of little commercials here and there over the time, you know, creatures, monsters, animals, puppets, robots, what have you. George of the Jungle, uh, Dr. Doolittle. Um, don't know what else. Lots of other things. So is there a property that you haven't worked on yet? That you'd like kill to work on Star, Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. 
I've not. Oh, I worked on Alien 3, so I got an Alien film in. I would have killed to have been able to be on Blade Runner 2049. Oh, my God, to have worked for Denis would have been awesome. Or Dune. I would die to have been able to be a part of those. Um, But I've not done a Star Wars. And I have so many friends that are now down working in the volume and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm puppeteering this or we're doing this. We've got droids coming in and I built like 18 different droids for them. Like, I want to go do this. So, yeah, if I could just have like one day on set on one Star Wars license would be fab. All right. I'm going to give you over to my friend, Lindsay. (gasps) Lindsay. Hello, Pete. How are you? I'm good. It is so, so nice up? to talk to you. What do you, well, what do you got for me? If you can imagine it, we have more listener questions. Lots. Perfect. Perfect. We, uh, we're trying to cut them down. So listeners, if you ask something and it doesn't make the cut, I'm very sorry. The question just is not very good. <laughs> no, some there good ones go. have, have been cut. I don't want to offend anyone. Um, but the first one here is from Lindsay Eureko. Um which is kind of a funny one. She wants to know which teams give you the most headaches. And my guess is it might be different this season than in prior seasons. Cause I feel like Will Bales has his act together. As I've always said, you know, Will is the love of my life and the stro- destroyer of my dreams. Right. Cause he, he is so great at being Will. And at times he's just not ready. This year was completely different. He was so ready for so much of this, and it was awesome. It was really wonderful to sort of see him finally get Hypershock into a way that it works. I don't have to worry about it. The weapon not turning on, like, it just works now. I got to drive it in the test box. He gave me... gave. No way. It is a hot rod. It is so much fun. All I wanted was just miles of flatness to go drive it on as fast as I can because it was, it's as if somebody just handed you the keys to a Porsche and said, here, go have fun, right? Like, okay. (laughs) It was was great. Super touchy and really responsive. Uh, What a blast. Um, Who gives me the hardest time? Uh, You know, I don't want to take anybody down. Um, that Al Kindle, he's probably highest <laughs> on my list for being one of the biggest problems in my life. Um, no, not at all. Uh, these That Al Kindle, he's know, such a diva. You can just tell. <laughs> yeah. There are times when, you know, myself and a builder might be coming to sort of like ahead and having a difficult conversation about whatever it might be about getting a robot ready or whatever's going on. But, you know, those, those, ha- those emotional moments happen and I don't hold them with me when I walk away. We, we get through them, solve the problem and get back to fighting robots. So I don't have a bad, I don't have a naughty list, shall we say. Well, that's nice. All right. All right. I'll accept that wholesome answer. Wholesome. <laughs> 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 uh, what behind the camera uh, type things would you like to help fans understand? So like what goes on that we don't have insight to that would be good context for us to know? You know, I mean, behind the scenes of any movie or television show, it, it is important to sort of understand the hundred plus people, the crew that is there to make this one product. 
Like that's the thing that I love about filmmaking is whether it's the lighting person, whether it's the craft service and makeup and costume, everybody is there for that frame, that one image that we're going to put on screen. And okay, so it's a moving frame, but it's the same thing. Like, I mean, BattleBots, we're all doing the same thing. We're there to produce a show that in the end looks as good as it does. And understanding that there are that many people involved that are all collaborating in different levels to make that happen, come together. And it's the same with all these people fighting robots. You know, I mean, the builders and their teams are coming to be a part of it just as much as any actor is on any stage. They're just as inclusive and just as much of a part of this process of making a show is we have to have them. And it's hard to like with, I think that Luke got such a great understanding of sort of standing there and witnessing how this production is going on. Like, I mean, I would love to walk everybody back to the control room and show them like what is happening and understand that, you know, there is a team of writers that are working their ass off to write Farouk intros that have, they're doing it the night that we're then saying, you know, we're kind of like figuring out, oh my God, this robot can't fight tomorrow. So we're going to have to put this fight in. And so we're, we're juggling the, you know, at 1 a.m., Aaron, Greg, Trey, myself, we're all sitting there in the trailer going, okay, wait, can we put this fight in over here and trying to solve a fight card? And then the writers have to then go say, okay, I have to write something for these two bots. And they have to come up with all those amazing things that Farouk has to do. And then Farouk takes those and he figures out how he wants to deliver some of those amazing lines that he's done. Um, you know, I mean, like all of that kind of stuff is is this parts that are all behind the scenes that people aren't sort of seeing that how much work gets put in by so many people to make that happen down to like the PAs that are helping get a robot from the pits to the scales, to the battery um, tent to set, right? Like, I mean, there's just a whole process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge operation and I feel like BattleBots is very good, like through interviews with podcasts, not just our own, but like through the show, like you get a glimpse of who these people are a little bit. Um, I feel like the one like kind of like black box is who the writers are. Are they like members of the bot community? Are they like just TV writers, comedians? Like who are, you don't have to name names, but like who are they? Because <laughs> they're so fantastic at what they do. They are an amazing team of people that are basically sort of comedian writers or comic writers for different things. They're not, they're, they may be robot fans, but they're writers first at being able to try to make people laugh or trying to, you know, just come up with the right thing. And so they write a bunch of that stuff. I mean, again, there's, there's also intros for Chris and Kenny that are written for them. So that when they're talking on the, on the sort of the stage or in front of the box when they're kind of free and not behind their things, they're usually reading off a teleprompter of what was written for them. Um, Cause it's usually about introducing that, you know, this fight was, is going to happen to these two robots and Ray is coming back from here and whatever they're, they're adding some, some color that has been written for that episode specifically. And then of course they are amazing at doing the live commentary. I mean, it, I, I have no clue on how the hell Chris can do what he does. <laughs> I was, 
I got to witness him. We were in between fights. I think like the, maybe there might have been something that we were the vacuum was inside the inside the box clearing out smoke. So we had a long pause. And Chris is watching a football game on his phone and he starts color commentating it. Uh, you know, and so it's going into my headsets, it's going to back of the control room. And he's like, he's back to the 40, back to the 30, throws, it's caught, he's run. And like the way he how good he was, just hearing his words, I could see the play. That is a skill. You know, I was visualizing what was happening because he was that good at describing the action that he was witnessing. And then it made me realize mm-hmm. just how amazing he is that we have him be able to do robots. I mean, right? yeah, you like fans just can't take Chris and Kenny for granted. Like not only are they so no. good at their job, but like, I feel like their rapport, like this season, mm. especially is just like off the charts. And it's something that's so special. Um, and you can't, I don't think you could have one without the other. Like you need Chris and no. Kenny together. They are a team. If the British they British are a off, team. Big off ever came to the U S I would have, I would have the two of them just go ahead and do the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Very different vibe, but I would still be into it. <laughs> oh my god, they've added confectioner sugar. I cannot believe they would go with such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, big bite there, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whoa, his dough is definitely not rising for this one. So yeah. <laughs> All right. I love it. Um, Okay. So this one's not a question, but we have to include it. It is from Nellie the Elliebot, Captain Sarah Malian, the one and only. Of course. And she has a cryptic note. She says, no question, but a thanks to him and Greg for helping me with my homework. Yes. She is currently in a video filmmaking production course, and she needed to talk to industry professionals like uh, whatever like i'm i'm somehow a professional i don't know how that came about but uh so we helped i had a long like two hour zoom with her about what it takes to make a show and what i do and what i've done and greg did the same thing on a, a different part of it and so we helped her with her homework that's pretty cool that's so cute more wholesome content uh, um All right. So Jesse Malin has a question. As one of the people who often communicates with builders in the pits, can you elaborate on what happened with Glitch in the round of 32 and how the whole alternate situation actually played out? Those strategy interviews for Witch Doctor and Mammoth looked like they were filmed in a closet. So, yeah, this is something that, like, we're all wondering is, so, is like, how heartbreaking it was for Glitch and what happened. Let me take a drink real quick and I'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whiskey okay i wish no just some disappointment soda you know <laughs> um so glitch these these kids were so amazing but they were so overwhelmed like they showed up with a box of parts and were putting glitch together right then and there um and every time you went past the pits like they were just working their asses off and trying to make it run every fight they could be in. And we are now in the round of 32. So it isn't like a fight card where we can sort of go, okay, well, we can push it a day because you can't, right? You, We have to have these fights happen on this day 
so that then we can move forward with the eight or, you know, the 16 and the eight and the, like they, we had a set schedule now that required one of those fights and we kept waiting and trying and they were having the worst time with getting the rope. They could not get the robot ready enough to be able to go into the arena. And it was finally like, okay, we, we just have to call this. And we had sort of, we kind of knew some of it was coming. So we had, all right, what bots are, what, A, what bots are, have a record that would make them be a substitute? Like, what is our selection? And then what bots are working? Like, that's another question you have to go out and sort of like answer and solve them. And would you be willing to come into the round of 32? These are all the same kind of questions. We had to kind of go and answer all those bots. And Mammoth was the one who said, I'm totally ready. I can go. We we're like, okay, go. Because you've got, we've got minutes, so let's go. And they they were able to get it in and do it. So that's, it was sad. Like, undefeated. <laughs> and they can't get into the 32. It was it was heartbreaking. It was devastating I know. To, to witness that. And to know that they were going in with such a great strength of schedule and such a great, you know, they're going in with 3-0. Like, what a, what a good seed they probably would have had. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so ugh, it, it really is heartbreaking. Um, but I guess silver lining, they are now one of two bots will be able to end the season saying that they're undefeated. Like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I went three and out battle bots. Did you? No. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it, it wasn't some weird manufactured, like sinister twirling our mustaches in the background kind of thing. It was they could not get the robot running in time to fit. We had to shoot the round of 32 that day. And I think it was one of the last fights that witch doctor versus mammoth fight ended up happening. So. Well, better luck next year, I guess. And I'm sure that they learned so much in the pits for like what they could do better, prepare for differently next season. And, you know, all that experience is invaluable. So. Um, they they might actually get some sleep ahead of time. That would be good for them <laughs> to actually maybe slept because they, I don't know what they were running on, but it was fumes. They, I can't believe that they were able to push as hard as they did. Like it was amazing. I mean, they're what, 19 or 20? Like, you know, I guess at that yeah. age, you can kind of make it work, but not really. <laughs> um, all right. So Bloodsport uh, team member Curtis Honeycutt wants to know, what factors do you look for when reviewing team applications and deciding who gets into the next season? Are, are, does that criteria change from year to year? Um, I mean, I have sort of certain personal things that I, I usually myself when I'm looking for is, you know, I look for experience usually like at a, at a smaller weight class or multiple years at a smaller weight class. Um, I, I'll talk to other builders and they will give me an opinion of, Oh yeah. So-and-so I know they do. They've been at Norwalk multiple times and they're finally stepping up. You know, this is a great person to, to look into. Um, and when they send me like the packets, when we sort of see the the application and what they're planning on doing, you know, how good is the CAD? How good is their thought about how the wiring is going to be done? Like the nobody's ready 
for their first BattleBots ever. Like it, you just can't believe what you actually got yourself into when you show up at the pits the first time and go make your first fight. Like it is the closest people that I've ever seen being ready were switchback, but that's because they had years of doing first and other things like years of going to robot combat that they kind of understood what was going to be needed. Um, and even them, they were still like, it was a, it was a tough season for them. Like they didn't have the best season they wanted for switchback and they learned a crap ton. Uh, I look for how well prepared people are for attrition and what happens and how damaging BattleBots is to robots and just being able to have that mindset of how you're going to get through solving. You have a bucket of parts now and not a robot anymore. And you have to put it back together to make a robot out of that. How do you, how do you interface with Lincoln and how do you go use the Haas fiddle to your best advantage? You know, all of those trying to eke out some of that is one of my main things of trying to figure out this person will work. And then of course, you know, there are simple things like how good do they present themselves in their video? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Take Dragon Slayer. He had the best video. Like his video, who he was as a person, immediately like Greg and I were like, we have to have him. We have to have him. <laughs> Look at this guy. So he built it himself. You know, without waiting. You know, so that was Pete, I, I, I would love to see all of these application videos. Like, it would make great content. Just have them sign over the rights oh. and then you can publish them on YouTube. It'd be fantastic. Well, luckily, I mean, if you, some people are posting all of their application videos these days. Like, many people are starting to put their application video not only in the application, but up on Facebook and other places. Yeah. So you can see some of these. All right, so we have a, a good question from Pat Maloney. With your transition from competing to behind the scenes on the show, what's it like seeing the change and evolution of robot combat from building to strategy and everything in between? The What used to be a bot back in the day, like Test Toaster 1, which was a five-gallon bucket and a two-by-four sticking out the back with a nail to the side of it, and it'd spin itself in a circle and try to hit you with the nail, um, you know, to what is now and the incremental creeping that happens between each competition of, you know, how much they're getting better uh, out of a brushless motor controller, how much finer control they now have that now allows them to always hit and maintain spin through the hit or things like that, that the there's less radical changes in design, but people just keep eking out the smaller pieces as they can. I mean, like in most any sport, you know, whether it's running or, or biking or whatever, it, it's starting to get to these points now that it's so small. People are just eking out the one little teeny piece that they can get a fraction of a second faster. And it's kind of we're getting close to that um, with everybody's getting so tight in how the evolution of what bots work with which fight other bots. I'm now starting to feel very, very grabber, lifter, flipper friendly. Like that's what I kind of want to see more of because I'm I, I, I'm kind of done with the horizontal or the the vertical like we have a very full field 
and it would be nice to see something else. Like, and you don't always get, you know, it's tough. It's tough on Craig Danby. I love Slamma. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, that is a very hard robot to come fight with because you're sort of always at the you're always the underdog. You're always at a disadvantage. <laughs> Going back a few years, Charles with Overhaul fighting Chomp, which was like one of the greatest examples of what a control bot can do, was he grabbed hold of Chomp, drove over to a, a kill saw and dipped Chomp into it. And then drove over to this kill saw and dipped Chomp into it. Like it was this. Wow, that's what a control bot can really do. That was an amazing thing to see. And I would love more of that. Even though I'm sure other people will tell me sparks and, and destruction and ghost raptors splitting into three pieces was is more fun, but whatever. I think one of my favorite moments of the season was Claw Viper getting like those excellent suplexes. Like that for me is what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so hard, especially in how the rules have kind of evolved and the judging criteria has evolved and the bots have evolved before like a, a, a bot like Duck could rely on using its toughness to do damage to a bot who would then kill its weapon by hitting it right Right. but now the reliability in bots have has grown exponentially and you can't knock out a weapon anymore just by being you 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 have you have to find other ways of doing damage but like a suplex bot a lifter like they're not doing traditional types of damage and so you can have the most perfect fight imaginable where you do everything you intend to do like i'm thinking about you know some kraken matches some other matches where you do everything you are supposed to do as your type of bot you can't possibly do any more short of disabling their weapon with you mm-hmm. and there's no path to victory anymore and it's it's like that's what I want to see are the suplexes and and those type of bots because I think it's so captivating. But like, are people still going to feel motivated to build them because there really isn't a path to victory for a match, let alone the round of thirty two? Right. Well, but to go against that, so think of Whiplash last year making it to second place. They have a spinning weapon, but. Matt does not always use the spinning weapon is not the primary thing. The lifting is his primary thing. So he he did get to second um, by using basically a control bot. So it can be done. Um, it is a harder path. It definitely is a harder path. Yeah. I mean, as I, I always sort of say is, you know, Sir Isaac Newton is a vertical spinner's friend and he is the enemy to the horizontal and really hates hammers, right? Like, I mean, the, you're you are so against Newton when you're having to swing a hammer around and get it to do something and keep your bot on the ground and make good transmission of energy into the other robot or your horizontal, it's all about the traction of your own wheels because that equal and opposite reaction sends you flying like Gigabyte and Tombstone. We've seen them bounce off the walls, but a good vertical, can usually sit there and let all that energy transition right through them into the floor and throw their opponent away. So it is the simpler way is to have the vert. Um, But I really appreciate everybody that tries not to the Charles Guans, right? 
Same here. Same here. All right. One more question before I give you over to Chris. Um, Andrew Freitag wants to know, after dealing with majority lightweight to heavyweight class bots for most of your robot combat career, what's your opinion on the insect weight classes and their increasing popularity due to accessibility? Um, well, he may have missed my year, my resume with the years of doing Zazbots. So I did one pounders for quite some time. Uh, I love ant weights. I think one pounders, it is amazing at what you can pack into one pound and then what damage they do now. Like to think about what we were doing when we first time we did our first Zazbot event to within a couple of events, you know, we had Ted Shimoda showing up with the first VDD that was just terrorizing the world. Um, you know, and then brushless started to come into play and there was like all of this change that people started, you know, it, I love one pounders and I think one pounders is a great place to start and it is, it should never be discounted. The insect class is a great class. Hard to do on television, but still a great class. All right, Pete, I'm up. All right. I have, a, I, it, it's mostly, uh, it's mostly robot questions. There are not many star Wars or Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> ones in here. I apologize. Uh, really? <laughs> I can tax them on at the end. Uh, maybe one okay. that's both. Um, okay. Uh, so I have a question here from Matt Davenport. Um, uh, and this is something that we kind of hear throughout every single season. Pete, it seems like the 100-pound hammers in the battle box are largely ineffective. If you could replace them with something, what would it be? Um, I. What's funny is this is the part. Nobody can see the damage that those hammers, the pulverizers are doing. Pulverizer actually ruthless you like to discount them is because somebody's only watching television and not paying attention to really what's happening when those people bring their robots back into the pits and they have to open it up the pulverizers have done a lot of damage i would never want to replace the pulverizers those are what's so great about them is giving this weapon that to the contestants to be able to actuate is you know, it gives you a place for the control bot to take a robot to start dealing some damage that they're not doing, you know, that they don't have a weapon to do with, but they can put somebody else under it and start dealing some serious damage. Pulverizers can change matches. So I would never drop the pulverizer. I am. Um, you could you could just spice it up a little bit and uh, you hand the reins of the pulverizers over to a 10 year old uh, that just had a Mountain Dew in the audience. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we've had that. I think some people have brought 10 year olds from the audience and had them run the hammers for them while they did their match. Oh, that was, wow. OK. I think like two or three seasons ago. Yeah. Pre Long Beach. I think that we like we had that happen up in uh, at the hangar the LA hangar when we did, when we shot there. All right. I have a question here from, uh, it's either, uh, Che or Chess Rhodes. Uh, Pete, where would you put yourself on the ringside, uh, analyst spectrum between Bill Nye and Carmen Electra? Um, let's see. I think I'm better looking than Bill Nye, but I'm definitely further down the chain than Carmen. <laughs> but I think technically I can do a hell of a lot better than Carmen can. Um, Wow, that was, she was a strange time when we did BattleBots and she was there. That was a, that was a weird, <laughs> weird time in our day uh, to have Carmen. Because like Donna Dierico was amazing. She was so 
like into what she was doing. Uh, Tracy Bingham, she was totally into it, like had a giant book of all the builder's notes. And so they were there. But Carmen was just not interested in being a part of the show. And so she just she phoned it in. Uh, But uh, Bill was pretty fun. I enjoyed hanging out with Bill, but I, I don't. Like, I don't even see myself as a commentator. <laughs> like, I I don't know how I got into this position. Like, I, I don't know what I did in my life that allowed this to come to fruition. And I still feel like I'm the imposter sitting there on the edge of the seat. So, Well, this, this is a good segue. We have a, a question here from Mad Catter driver and Norwalk Havoc champion Calvin Eba, yes. who wants to know... Do you think the Bot Whisperer position needs to be arena side? It seems like every tech segment would benefit from you being in the pits. You could do more pointing out and less hand waving. Even though your segment becomes right next to the fights, your physical location doesn't need to be. Hmm. Um, I would miss all the fights. You do realize that, right? I have one of the best seats in the house. So uh that part I don't like giving up. Um we could we want to do more tech segments. Um, that was the thing that was sort of figured out while we were there and it was a little too late. We did get the thing with Aaron. We got a great thing with um, Adam and Shatter. Uh, I did a thing with Cobalt. We wish we'd done more, but we just didn't have time or resources or, you know. Um, I I would myself would rather be next to the box. And the other thing is what I've always done prior to me coming out to being ringside was I used to be in the control room. And when anything weird went on, always there was this question, turn, turn the heads, Pete, what, what was that? What went down? And so I could give a description and me being there, we haven't done it that much, but there's been times when Chris has thrown to me at the end of a fight or, you know, something's going on. It's like, Pete, tell us about what is happening in there. What are we witnessing? So that I can explain that. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I was pit side. Yes, I wish there were clones of me and I wish I could just have somebody in the pits to be me and go ask all the questions. But only so much of me to go around. (laughs) All right. I have a question here from Shatter team member Mary Comenti, who wants to know, Pete, what's your favorite sword bot? Sword bot or hammer slash axe bot is she asking about the mary special which i love um but i mean are we talking about like vlad the impaler kind of sword bot back in the day or or overkill with uh with christian giant knife blades swinging back and forth or are we talking about the beautifully sculpted mary special on shatter which did exactly what it was designed to do, which was carve into belts and chains with those teeth. They weren't sharp, but they just bound up and knocked out things, which good on them. Like I'm very, I was very happy to witness it do exactly what they, they designed it to do. Mary wraps up by saying, thanks for always geeking out with us, Pete. Always, always will with, with Adam Mary. All right. I have a series of thought provoking questions from uh, Chris Horry. Who uh, who begins with um, a question regarding a uh, a percentage of engagement? Was there really thirty nine percent more engagement? Uh, I didn't do the math, but the editors who watched all of the fights did. So there was an actual like 
calculation because they saw all the fights and went, holy you know, look at this. We're seeing much more engagement happening due to the fact that we've reduced floor space. So we're pushing bots closer together with the, the shelf was keeping bots attacking each other more often because they were closer. Another, uh, this is a great speculative question. If you could hold your own dream robot combat event, what would it be? Special rules, arena mods, entry restrictions? It would be outside in dirt with hills and people would have to make bots with suspension on them. Oh, But crazy ass weapons. I want to say like I, you know, some maybe in a quarry somewhere, right? where we can contain the mass and the damage, but people can make some crazy ass things to deal with terrain. Because I feel as sort of the, you know, as I always say about robot Darwinism, uh, evolution of the flat floor has gotten us to a certain point, right? We, We have weapons and shapes of bots that are very specific based on a flat floor, just like some weird bird in Hawaii with some super curvy beak that eats a very specific flower. Same thing. We've evolved into a very tight niche. And I think if we took it outside and went to a giant quarry with terrain and rocks and rubble and made robots that had to climb over that, that would change the bot. That would definitely advance the meta. I think if, you know, um, you just pulled the carpet out and you told all the builders, that's it, we're shooting in a desert, there'd be a lot of builders that wouldn't sand for that. Uh <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. Something, uh, something got in my throat. Um, yeah. <laughs> All is right. it what, maybe it was the grain, grain mean, of salt. So, Chris, are you a dad? Because <laughs> that was a dad <laughs> joke, by the way. I'm about to be uncle. So I get dad past joke. dad. I go straight to uncle status soon. I'm very excited. All right. Next. Okay. What do we got? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have another question here um, uh, from Chris, who uh, you know wants to know now that the uh, the venue is basically permanent. Um, you know what else is planned for the venue? Uh, you know, outside of that percentage of weeks a year that's not used for the show. Uh, right now, like I mean, the ultimate hope would be that we could create some sort of live event or more events that happen more often because we could leave the box up. I mean, that's the greatest. It is. Right now, it's just the box is in storage, but it's fully standing. That's the difference is we don't have to reassemble a box again. Um, and we don't have to transport it. We don't have to store it. It is now just standing inside this place. Uh, it would be great if we could have more events in it. That would just be awesome. All right. Um, I have a, a couple of in-depth questions about the judges from Sam Roberts. Um uh, his first question is, there have been controversies around judging criteria recently, but we don't talk about uh, the purpose of a judge's decision. Um, it seems like a lot of arguments stem from people thinking that the judges should be determining who would have won by knockout if the fight had carried on indefinitely or who was closest to a knockout after three minutes. But how hard are the judges trying to approximate that? Um, so the judges have a you know, they have a very clear matrix now that we follow. And it's really about the, the, the words that I like to use is effectiveness. How effective did you deliver your weapon? How effective or how ineffective are you at getting your weapon to your opponent because of what your opponent is doing to you kind of thing? Take 
take like uh, Sawblaze versus Tantrum uh, last year, where uh, Tantrum just never allowed Sawblaze to act like that great dustpan that scoops other bots into it, and then he can attack from above. He never got the chance. Like he just, Jameson could never be effective because of what Tantrum was doing. And so that's how they sort of weigh things. Like uh, Hypershock, this last fight, Hypershock spent nearly half the match upside down and was basically ineffective. They could not deliver their weapon to the other bot Mm -hmm. in any way. He spent the whole time attempting to try to get himself back over. So who, you know, and I, I, that's where you sort of have to go. Where is the, where in that do we sort of rate that as how effective was Hypershock at, in this fight? And that's sort of where the, I think the judges do an amazing job. If you look at all of the scorecards, Everything that everybody says, oh, my God, that's so controversial, is a point from each other. They're like, they're all five sixes. Whether or not it's between Lisa or Derek or or Jason, but within their own cards, when it's a unanimous, it's still usually like a five six. Like, it was that tight and that close. So, I, the idea of predict, they don't try to predict out into, let's say, the double KO like who should, who was going to win this? They look at what happened in that 30 seconds, that minute and a half before the double KO happened and gauge it on that time frame, based on the matrix. And that's how, as if that, if the match only lasted that, that's what I'm gauging it on. Mm. So mm. there is no great mystery. Like it's funny. It's just <laughs> the rules are out there. They, I think the judges criteria is up on the website somewhere. You can read about it. And it's not this there. They try to not be subjective. That is their job is to be as Spock like as possible while looking at these matches and not bring emotion to it. And they look at it and pay attention to how effective did each bot perform and that's sort of how they rate it yeah there's i think so other than like establishing that entry criteria and like you know trying to wrap your heads around the overall field and saying all right we're gonna have x number of verts x number of horizontals x number of flippers x number of you know experimental bots uh rookies i feel like it's actually the judging criteria that would have the biggest uh, impact on entry and like disincentivizing that, you know, that devastating, uh, you know, those damage points uh, and instead putting more emphasis on control and aggression. Um, there might even be other categories worth exploring. Uh, I think that that ultimately would do a better job of shifting the meta. Do you agree? Um, I'm going to counter with, in the end, we're still a television show. That's <laughs> and the way we stay on TV is having very exciting things. Even though, yes, I would like more control bots. Bots that have things that spin and create sparks and rip other bots apart are what give us ratings and keep us on the air. So we are still a television show and changing from damage to something else may not maintain the excitement level of the show. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's that's totally true. Um, it depends on what lens you're looking through of like what what captivates an audience. Like we could look at Rusty and say, okay, here's a pod that doesn't necessarily dole out a lot of damage. However, there are it people that will froth at the mouth if you say a bad word about Rusty. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the overall um, uh, watchability of a Rusty fight can be so much more than, let's say, an endgame fight that might end after nine seconds. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in. Even without the, just the, well, we don't want bots to create damage issue, right? It's also down to bots that just aren't optimized. You know what I mean? Like bots that are really exciting and cause a lot of damage are just not going to be able to compete against an endgame, which is a tight little package of explosive compact power. You know what I mean? You have a Yeti where it's like got the cool monster truck wheels or you've got like a, a Scorpios, which has a very unique design specific to one type of robot, right? Um, those are really fun, really awesome robots, but like the the meta beats both of them very handily. I concur. Yeah. I, as Kyle just disappears, he pops in, says some words of wisdom <laughs> and then disappears off screen. Yeah, he, he'll do that from time to time. <laughs> I lock all As my he doors. Strokes his beard. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> all right, we're gonna uh, close out with some deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot Superfan Mary Catherine Carr, uh, whose first question for you, Pete, <laughs> is: Just how abused did that direct phone line to you get, and how could it be more abused in the future? <laughs> uh, so it was about fifty-fifty. Um, not everybody used it. And some people would use it to really tell me, you know, like Zach would call me up and say, okay, hey, we've changed this weapon and I'm going to try this and I'm going to come in with this sort of attack and here's how I want to face this. But then Adam Wrigley would call me up and say, yeah, I need two pepperonis and a sausage with some mushroom. Um, can you get that to my room in like 30 minutes? <laughs> you know, So... The bot phones were helpful because I couldn't always get back into the pits to talk to everybody. And I mean, I used to love to, before I was on camera, I used to leave the control room, go to the pre-tunnel entrances, have conversations, get their strategies, understand what weapon they have on, and then go back and relay that to Chris and Kenny before a match. And now I'm kind of like anchored to the seat a little more but they can pick it up and call me if they want to. If they if they didn't already tell me in the morning or at lunchtime about what the plan is for their upcoming fight. Because usually there's a lot more planning that is happening than the last minute. They People don't always want to change out right at the last minute if they don't have to. If they do, they'll usually call me and say, I just need you to know we did this. We were having a really big problem with this one motor, so we swapped out this whole wheel section and let's let's hope it goes it goes well and then it gives me a chance to sort of relay that to chris and kenny and kenny will sort of say hey they've been having some problems in the pits let's hope this fight works for them but we may see that happen and when the failure happens you can you can then point to it and say see that was what we were talking about this was where the they were worried about kind of thing Mm. This, uh, this next question, it's, uh, it's pretty great. I, it's something I hadn't even really thought of before. Um, do you ask for parts to show on camera? Yes. Or do teams bring you the random bits and just have a runner like bringing up chunks of ripped um, up bot? Sometimes uh, teams will show up and hand me a thing. Um, 
but most of the time I've gone out. So the difference between last season and this season, last season, they went to me with the camera in front of every fight. And I didn't always have a tidbit about every bot to talk about. So they didn't always work, right? So those would just end up on the cutting room floor. We only want about three spots per episode anyways. That's sort of what works out nice. Doesn't always work. Sometimes we don't have one for that episode, you know, or three of them. We may only have two. We may only have one. Um, But I'll generally go out and be in the pit and in the morning go, oh, can you bring this to me? Because this is really cool. Like, you know, let's say Malice. She had this beautifully machined piece that she was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's AR. And I'm like, wait a minute. You machined this. You didn't just water jet this and then grind it. This is machined. And it was like, I know how difficult that is to do. And so it was like, can you bring me one of these so I can talk about that on camera? Because that's too exciting. And so there's, I try to go out and cherry pick good props that I know I can hold and show off and try to like Gruff, of course, it was like, do you have an extra nozzle? Because I know this is what makes Gruff's flame so amazing. Let's show that off to everybody. So that's, I mean, I do a lot of cherry picking and I try to get a bunch of props that I can. Um, but other times people bring stuff up and it doesn't always work out because I may not be doing a piece on camera for that one. So, but most of the time I've gone out and asked for them to bring that on their cart when they come with them. So, uh, in Mary's last question, she's trying to steal a little bit of my thunder, Mary, <laughs> uh, just because she? she loves having you nerd out about D and D. How would you class the winners of the first half of the round of 32, 34? I know you've done some in the past, but she loves hearing you do it. All right. Who do we, God, uh, I don't have, I don't even have the bracket in front of me. <laughs> I'd have to. I'm going to pull it up. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead and list. We'll see how I do. I can start listing them, Pete. All right. The play-in match, Scorpios defeated Malice. Okay. So do we want, are we doing both bots? Or are we just doing the winners that are moving forward? I think we're doing winners. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Scorpios is kind of, I'm going to say, is the rogue that isn't as sneaky, but a much more like a twin-bladed, like got a small knife, got a short blade on one thing. They do a lot of fighting, um, but they're not the big berserker type fighter. They're they're going to be a little more nimble. Perhaps a, a rogue that's also a tavern brawler. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Actually, wait. Tavern Brawler is taken by Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> Yeti just gets Tavern Brawl. They don't actually have a drum. Right. They just have a barrel of, of ale on the front. And that's what they're fighting with the whole time. Uh, Scorpios advanced to take the uh, 32 seed, but <clears throat> its run was cut short by Endgame. Endgame. Endgame is, is close to what we'd sort of talked about with Paul and very much sort of like the paladin, but may not yeah. be as yeah. lawful good might actually be a little more on the neutral or chaotic even, but is that sort of bold warrior 
fighter. Like, no, man, I'm just here to kick ass. Like, okay, kick okay. ass, take names. Counter proposal then is Endgame an Oathbreaker Paladin? <laughs> no, not an Oathbreaker. They're not. They want to break their oath. They're they're still honorable <laughs> to do their thing, but they're not religious about doing their thing. They're just a damn good fighter. They're a you know they're a John Wick of fighters. Oh, oh. okay. Oh my goodness. I just, they're I just they're like, you go mess with their dog, they're coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> and appropriately, they're uh, they're all wearing suits this season. So that's perfect for John. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. Two of the uh, biggest heavy hitters in the fields, Minotaur and Bloodsport. Minotaur. Convincing win there. Minotaur. Minotaur, because of its compact size, is Definitely a dwarven fighter with one of those just massive warhammers, like double-headed warhammer with the with the big spiky knobs on the end of the hammerhead, like for tenderizing meat, and just charges in. You know, usually you're like, okay, we're sneaking up on this door. And he's like, I'm going through. <laughs> he just launches himself <laughs> through. And you're like, no, we need a roll for initiative. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they just charge through. And usually in the end, you look around and go, oh, that was a lot of goblins and kobolds that we don't have to worry about anymore. But okay, great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Tough little dwarf that gets in there and just beats the crap out of everything. High constitution. Can really survive a beating. Yeah. Next up, amazingly, two of the best driven bots in the field, Copperhead and Lucky. Incredible story. Like the Lucky story was great this year, but yes. Cut short, round of 32, Copperhead advances. Copperhead. Copperhead. Copperhead is, I mean, they're they're probably like a sword mage. Like, cause there's a thinking that goes on in Copperhead. Namely, if you think about all of the wonderful paintings on the edge of the boy, on the edge of Copperhead, there is, there's a lot more thought that goes on in Copperhead than just charge in and, and beat the crap out of something. So I, I would assume a sword mage, they would kind of, they've got a very deadly weapon, but there's also a little more magic going on. Mm. That's a good answer. Witch Doctor and Glitch, Glitch, uh, Glitch died, and uh, and yeah, Mammoth came in. So a uh, Witch Doctor, which is already a mystical, you know, creature on its own. You know, it's got some magic there. You know, is is this uh, some kind of magician? What 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 do you think, Pete? Um, Witch Doctor definitely would be sort of. I mean, it. I mean, shaman, obviously, right? Um, so. But is it, would you say it could transform into an animal or is it just sort of a fighter class version and maintains its sort of humanoid form the whole time? I mean, I, I imagine like, like an undead fighter, you know, like, Ooh, yeah. Ooh, there you go. I didn't think about like having an undead as a character, but that's, you know, I guess Warcraft made that okay. So we could do that. Right. Good. Good. By the way, I am playing Horizon Forbidden West right now. And I am just, I mean, I loved Zero Dawn, but man, am I digging this. I am so deep in it. They even stepped it up more because that was one of the best games I've ever played. 
I, I was just enthralled. And now here I am uh, starting to venture into the ruins of San Francisco, and it's a blast. Uh, let's see. Next up, we had Sables just absolutely eviscerate, just take apart the neon bird, Pete. Like, oh, I can't even <laughs> believe it. Like, I, I, I had to shield the, the eyes of, of my girlfriend, and then I shielded my own eyes. It was just so graphic. <laughs> You know, like Sables. What, what, what do you think? Sables. Some kind of dragon, uh, maybe? I don't know. Ooh, Dragonborn. Yeah, of course. Blowing the green like flame, it. right? Yeah, for sure. With great armor at the same time as a serious big two-handed sword weapon. You know? All right. I can't wait for this next one. All right. The, the ultimate underdog, P1. All right. Turned itself into a ramp and killed the most expensive robot in the entire field. So like, it's incredible. You know, P1, just the plucky, the, 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 the plucky underdog, you know? Uh, shall we say it? That with that mustache, the bard of the group? Oh, yeah. Possibly. Possibly. I would have, I would have almost dipped into uh monk territory as it's just Ooh. out there without weapons and just That's showing a good point right hand to hand some grapple yeah yeah very uh tai chi i will use your momentum against you as you sail up over my face <laughs> and into the side of the arena <laughs> yes that's good actually i like monk better that's that is true uh, well, how, how about, you know, a name that strikes fear into anyone's heart, uppercut, oh, the one hit KO master, you know, the, uh, just, just, uh, just min maxed all the way, you know? Um, I, I think uppercut is probably a half orc that rolled an 18 and has double zeros for strength and also nearly the same for its constitution and it just wades into everything and it could fight with an axe it could fight with a sword but instead it just has an ugly mace that it just like a block it's not even sort of got spikes on it it's just a big heavy squared object that it just hits things with maybe a very powerful yo-yo <laughs> That's that's the little magic in the in the bag of holding. It can pull out the yo-yo and do the. It basically uses that because the it keeps the NPCs from knowing what it really is and it being a half orc and everybody doesn't doesn't see it for how deadly deadly it really is and just goes the yo-yo. I'll, I'll watch that. I'll keep watching. Them. And then he just hits them. Last but not least, it's like hypnosis. Riptide, you know. Uh... <sighs> Got a big, big egg beater inspired by other robots. Some say better robots. I don't know if I say that, but I'd say inspired, <laughs> heavily inspired, you know? Heavily inspired, yeah. for sure. Interesting um, team. I don't know. Guy thinks that his people are idiots. I, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> I'm going to say... I mean, part of me wants to say it's it's one of those, like, mages that has the best magic missile or or fireball like it can just hit every single time um but it does take a beating like it did launch itself so it's got some a high constitution and some good armor class so 
like it must be it's gonna have to probably be multi-class like a magic user fighter is my my assumption my uh my proposal would be that it's actually a druid shapeshifter and can shapeshift into <laughs> the form of championship robots Ooh, there you go i take the form of yes <laughs> <laughs> Shape of an <sighs> elephant, form of a bucket of water. Yes. Um. <laughs> Pete, this is uh, this has been rad. It's always so incredible to have you on the show. Look at it. We just cranked away almost two hours sitting here. We'll probably have to edit it. Are we down done with all the questions? Bit, so, yeah, of we, course. Well, we, there was there were some that we had to edit because they were duplicative. But uh, you know, again, we're going to have to probably edit some down just so. People don't end up downloading a four-hour podcast on a on a Wednesday morning, but we uh, we love having you on the show, and it's incredible that you joined us one year ago today. Yeah, we'll just set this up, um, even uh, recurring uh, at least we you could. know every March twenty first forever. Um, and you know we can always just get together at some other time. And I have at some point, I'm not sure when, but I'm coming to Norwalk. Just so you know, I got to make it there. Like now that's my holy grail is I have to go to Norwalk and witness Norwalk. I don't know when. We would love to have you. I mean, maybe if I can work it out in December, because I have a very busy summer and fall, but uh, possibly get out there for the championship. That would be a blast. We'll see what I can do. Yay! And of course, we would uh, we'd love to be there for the next um, the next filming of uh, BattleBots. That would be awesome. Love to have you guys. You guys would be like, I mean, I I love it when I can turn around and go, there's my friends. These are people I know. They're sitting in this audience. This is awesome. So please come be there. You guys all got pins, right? You guys all got the, yes. do I need to send more? Yes, thank okay. you. Okay, good. All right. Love it, Pete. Uh, wonderful having you again. Can't wait to see you again. Can't wait to have you to Norwalk. Can't wait to make it out to Vegas. we've got a lot of can't waits don't we let's do Ah. it all right all right well thank you so much guys we'll see you again bud all right take care after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world welcome back from the break Time for Robots Around the World. This week we're traveling to New York, where a painting by a robotic dog has sold for 40,000 U.S. American dollars. Proceeds from the painting, called Sunrise March, will go toward humanitarian efforts in Ukraine. So that's nice. A Polish-American artist programmed a robotic dog from Boston Dynamics to dip its paws in yellow and blue paint and walk in a circle on the canvas. The painting was sold as part of an auction for nonprofits operating in Ukraine and organized by Olympic ice skater Brian Boitano. So that's what Brian Boitano would do. Hey, hey, Vinny, get a look at this robotic dog painting this this picture over here. You got 40 grand? <laughs> you, got, you got 40 grand? <laughs> I'll, I'll bring some Sunrise March back to my ma. <laughs> Vinny! Vinny! Oh, God. <laughs> All right, so, Luke, I got to ask you, what's more legitimate art? Elephant art 
or robotic dog art? Robotic dog art, Kyle, by a thousand percent. They just they 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 whip those poor elephants until they just start whipping paint all over the canvas. It's it's awful. You don't think you don't think that some Boston Dynamics engineer is just beating the crap out of this robotic dog? <laughs> yeah, shoving them down with hockey sticks and knocking their stuff away from them that they're trying to get. Come on, we've, we've all seen, seen those videos. videos. They abuse these robots. They abuse them. I get. I mean, all right, well, I, I guess. I guess if your definition of art is it moves you and makes you feel things, I, I don't know. I don't don't know if I'm moved by robotic art. And I'm more horrified by elephant art. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I mean, okay, here's here's why I think the robotic dog is, is actual art. Because the artist had to program the dog to walk in a circle. You know, so like, you know, it's not like the artist had like some kind of intent. And I'm assuming that a computer programmer artist, you know, uh, has more intelligence than a poor abused elephant. But uh, I don't know. Wow, this went dark. I, I, I you know, I Kyle, uh, you know, you, you took us there. What, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, to be fair, there are uh, elephants in research projects that are not getting abused that create their own art that are, you know, not in other like places. So, so that, that is a thing that happens. That is not just uh, like the Chicago zoo, for instance, has an elephant that likes to paint. Um, Kyle, but- Kyle, I'm going to challenge you on this. All right. So are you telling me that the elephant wants to paint like the elephant is seeking out painting or did they just give this animal a paintbrush and it started just i don't know like it does it know what it's doing kyle probably elephants are very intelligent they hold their own funerals for their own kind like they're highly social animals they they have traditions and whatnot like it's it's they're they're, you know they're, they're intelligent creatures so yeah, I could see, I could see that. I'm gonna Google elephant art right now. All right, let's see, elephant painting. Wait, no, elephant. Uh, oh God, Dude, I'm getting just paintings of elephants. Elephant art. Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of that. Okay, all right, let's see. Uh, elephant artwork. I'm gonna say abstract. These let's are see. not paintings of an animal under duress. These are paintings of. An animal expressing their creativity and living their fullest lives. Right. And what Luke is saying is that robot paintings aren't actually robot paintings. It's a computer programmer painting through a robot, which I understand. I get that. Hey, Samantha, take a look at this (laughs) painting I bought you. Doesn't it move you? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's the nicest painting I've ever seen. You buy me the nicest things. Last night you took me out with the best chicken parmesan I've ever had. And think about it. The artist is using a very expensive paintbrush in a Boston Dynamics robot dog. <laughs> he goes right back into it. Oh, Kyle. <laughs> <sighs> My ex, Kyle, he never bought me robot paintings. All he did was talk about elephants. <laughs> Guys, we've been recording this podcast for like four and a half hours now. I think that our brains have turned to mush. It's probably true. Now eat your mush! I made you dinner! And that's about it for tonight! We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with a mystery guest! (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Sarah Malian. I appreciate both of you.
And uh, yeah, see you next week. Bye. See ya. (laughs) Bye. Go listen to the last sea shanty about Kraken. All right, bye. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds, although my scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore When out did come her metal jaw The captain called all hands and swore He'd take that spinner in tow <laughs> Soon may the spinner man come To knock her teeth right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll 